0: Roses are red, violets are blue, Dark night of the Podcast is fucking lusting for you. Our listeners, our fans, those of you who've randomly, drunkenly stumbled upon us out of the blue, welcome. We're lusting for you. It's Valentine's. <laughs> it's Valentine's Month here at Dark Knight of the Podcast, and we can't get enough of your supple, ample bodies, and we're thrilled to have you. And you know who else we're thrilled to have today? Other than Troy. Hi, Troy. Hi, Roger. How are you?
2: You know, I am I'm fabulous. I'm
0: Are you lustful? I, I'm full <laughs> I, I'm full of lust. As that's, how, that's how our fans like you. Right. And they voiced it. They like you lustful. But other than Troy, we've got a third member here today we have a guest it's a three-way
2: it's a um, valentine's it's a three-way. three-way
0: it's a it's a sensual valentine's three-way and who better to have a valentine's three-way with than rob rosado <laughs> hi rob how are you happy valentine's day bitches what an entrance was that my god i mean we're basically like hawking you like you're like a meat product for <laughs> have you seen have you
2: seen him he is a meat product come on
0: yeah look at you okay. daddy like daddy like and our fans <laughs> like and they're gonna be excited to see you <laughs> See I'm you to hear to here. you. I'm happy to be here already. <laughs> yeah. I can tell. I mean, my God, uh, we're all happy. <laughs> but yeah, it's, our, um, it's officially the Valentine season. And I got to say, everybody, I think, all horror fans, for the most part, if you're going to say, name for me, your favorite holiday era season to revolve a film around, I think most people instinct instantly instinctively go to Christmas Um, and I get it and I get it. And a lot of my favorite movies are holiday themed slashers or like the Christmas season. Um, But I have to say there is a soft spot spot in my heart for Valentine Day themed slashers. I love them and I can't get enough of them.
2: Yeah, no Valentine. Well, Christmas obviously is my uh, yeah, it's my go-to uh, holiday for horror. Obviously, you know, with Black Christmas being my favorite horror film, and me making Mrs. Claus. But I can definitely make a a very good argument for Valentine's Day needing w- way more slasher films that revolve
0: around the holiday. Agreed, agreed. What about you, Rob? What's your favorite holiday to set a, a horror film around?
1: Let's see. I'm with you guys. I think Christmas has probably the biggest concentration. That you have Gremlins and Black Christmas. You have cre- you know the uh, what's called Crampus recently. But um, uh, you know Valentine's Day has a few solid ones. Uh, two of them are called My Bloody Valentine, and then you have uh, the film that we were discussing today.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I think the reason I find such a uh, an appeal in Valentine's themed slashers or horror movies in general is with my slashers I like. I really like there, for there to be good reasoning or a good motive behind the killer and who they are and what they're doing and why they're doing what they do. And I think with Valentine's Day being such a an emotions-based holiday, you know, like love, romance, lust, uh, envy, all of these things kind of culminate in this holiday, uh, whether you're getting what you want or you're not, out of it. Um, and I think it's a great, a great platform to kind of start a story revolving around a series of murders, such like we're going to see today.
2: Yeah, it just seems, you know, it seems though with Valentine's Day, though, the uh, the motive for the killer is probably going to always be very similar. It would be cool to see someone come up with a Valentine's theme slasher that maybe doesn't necessarily revolve around the the motive that we see in like My Bloody Valentine or this film Valentine. You know, I think that's maybe why Christmas is a holiday that. Kind of lends itself to the horror genre because you have several, you know, like Rob mentioned, you have Krampus, you have, you know, the slasher films, you have, uh, Gremlins, you have all these different things you can you can do with that particular holiday that m- makes the films that are in that umbrella of Christmas be different. Whereas I think like Valentine's day, you're just going to have a killer that's, that was scorned and is killing people. So it'd be cool to see like, we need a Valentine's day, like creature, like some creature that comes.
0: Well, yeah. And that's a point I was going to, going to say in regards to Christmas being so popular is with Christmas being as fantastical as it is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like let's think about all of the characters that come out of Christmas talking snowmen and reindeers and fucking, (laughs) old men that come down your chimneys there's so much potential to like elaborate on that and build off of that and make it scary you know it's not restricted just to one thing with Valentine Valentine's Day it it is like it's a it's a holiday based around emotion and love and what happens when you're not you know receiving or reciprocating the love that you desire. That's how it does tend to fall into that kind of blueprint. I absolutely agree. I think that's why you don't see as many of them. And I would absolutely love to see somebody come up with a storyline that's not just kind of like cookie cutter because I think that's just what we've seen from these movies up to date. Yeah.
2: So we are discussing the 2001 2001. Am I right? Yes. 2001. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I knew that 2001 slasher film Valentine, directed by. Horror guru, I would say, because he's done several films in the horror genre. Jamie Blanks is probably his best known for Urban Legend.
0: It's my favorite. It's my favorite of the era. I'm going to say it right now. Love it. Yeah. Robin, what, what are your thoughts on Urban Legend? Urban Legend. Oh, my God. Well, let's see.
1: Coming so shortly after stream, it's got this wonderful kind of glossy, you know, picture quality, a lot of it. But it, what sets it apart from Scream is that it's just so. There's something operatic about that particular film. There's lightning crashing every second. The score is booming. There's a lot of heightened energy. Um, and you know, a lot of critics at the time, as well as Valentine, called Urban Legend kind of a Scream carving copy. But I'd argue that there's not much of that meta humor that defines not just Scream, but that entire franchise. Um, it's more. I think both of those are more akin to. Slashers of the '80s, where it's a very simple whodunit, you know, a costumed killer. Um, but what the carryover is that it has this really attractive TV-ready cast of very competent actors
0: and some uh, a few genre legends there as well. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree with what you just said. It's a dry. This is a dry, straightforward horror film. There's a little bit of humor between like the girls, the focal cast, and they are very capable. I do have to say right off the bat, one of the selling points with this movie, in my opinion, this cast.
2: The cast is definitely a selling point for this film, particularly now. I mean, you look back on it and it, you know, you have Denise Richards, you have Marley Shelton, who has gained a kind of a a new, a, a new following in the horror community because of her involvement in scream Four and the new Scream as deputy judy hicks Uh, and it's interesting to go back to this film and watch her as a much younger actress actually have to helm a a film i mean she pretty much carries valentine uh she's the lead but she is ends up being kind of the final girl it's interesting to, to kind of watch her in this film versus like I said, Scream. I just, I'm just mentioning Scream because we obviously just saw the the brand new Scream where she is a prominent part of the film. So,
1: and she was also kind of a low key powerhouse in a Grindhouse, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, she was she was badass in that. But at the time of Valentine, you know, who was the the, the main draw? Who was the big star? It was uh, Angel himself, uh, David Boreanaz.
0: And honestly. He is right up there with the best of him in this film. I think he his presence in this movie elevates the material. I think he gives a really strong performance. I think they took a lot of the influence of the kind of character he was playing on Angel or within the Buffy universe. And they, they injected that into these moments with him. When he starts to become more ominous, he's so hulking. He's this really big, like kind of just like tower of a man. And I think a lot of like a shadow play and everything they use. Really, honestly, they took some tips from the show that made him so popular and they use it to his advantage um another thing i really like about this film and i do have a few like specific notes about the film itself before we get into the actual storyline this movie i have to say first of all out of all the slashers of uh of like the 90s for some reason i saw this one like right when it came out and it stuck with me i bought it on vhs i still own that same vhs like it's always held a place in my heart um and i really um hold it in high regard, even though I know it's not the best horror film, the best slasher ever made. There's something about this movie that draws me back. And every time I watch it, I enjoy the hell out of it. One thing I really admire about this movie is that you're looking at this cast, super attractive, sexy cast. But you know what? I admire the fact that this movie never depends on overly sexualizing these women or anybody. And I mean, there's no nudity. You're not having any of these girls go topless or anything. There's a jacuzzi scene. But honestly, the jacuzzi sequence with Denise Richards is one of the best parts of the movie. And she's never treated like a piece of meat. I mean, she is when she's what happens to her. But she's she's sexy. (laughs) But none of it feels like gratuitous. You look at some of these other films, you know, we've reviewed a lot of movies. Tons of gratuitous nudity oozing sexuality for unnecessary reasons. This cast is just sexy, just naturally sexy, and it makes the movie sexy.
1: I would agree with that. I think to a person, they all inject not only their kind of, their thespian skills, but just a lot of personality into what could be in the wrong hands, very cookie cutter kind of uh, characters. But there's just enough detail in the script for them to work with, it. you have Jessica Caulfield, Catherine Heigl, who only has a, who is basically the Drew Barrymore of this film, uh, David Boreanaz has a surprising amount of ambiguity in his character to work with, and uh, you know, Marley Shelton had a f- fantastic starring, you know, ultimately a final girl role in this one, um, and Denise Richards, it, upon looking at it again, to your point, is a huge surprise in this one. How she never, um, she makes Paige very unapologetically sexy, but not someone who is going
0: to be objectified in that way by the filmmaker or by anyone else. Yeah. And because though this movie is slightly dated in some of the elements, overall, I'm surprised at how much like so many elements of it do hold up. I think part of that is due to the writing and making these women kind of strong, independent women. Like, you know, one one of them is not independent. One needs a relationship, but they explore that. But for the majority of these girls – When these guys, and like, listen, the guys in this movie, they're all pigs. Every man in this movie is a pig. When any of these women experience something where these guys kind of, you know, mistreat them, the girls don't put up with it. They don't really deal with it. They're strong women.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how, um you know, what sets this one apart is that they're not in high school. They're not in college. These are adult working women. And as such, they're all going through different shades of adulthood. You know, in, in with Dorothy's case, she's still holding on to that piece of herself that was in. What was it elementary school? In just that insecurity that has carried over. Um, and that is a defining aspect of her character. And it's looking back at it now, surprisingly powerful in a sense. Yeah, lots of themes. I agree with that.
2: But yeah, so let's, let's get into the film. First of all, we want to, Robbie, we, we didn't really give you, uh, let you have a proper introduction, right? So, cause we were so, we we're so eager to talk about it. Eager. So <laughs> about it. Fucking eager. I know. So we didn't even, we didn't even get, we didn't even give Rob a chance to give himself a proper introduction. So why don't you tell our listeners who may not be familiar with you a little bit about yourself, like what you do, what your, what your involvement in the horror community, all that fun
1: stuff. Oh man! Well, let's see. I've just been a horror fan since I was probably nine or ten. I remember seeing Scream, opening night, and that really just blew my mind. And I've been a horror fan since. Um, I, I guess my favorites are Halloween, Scream, Texas Chainsaw, Black Christmas. Um, but since then, I'm just—I'm a stage actor. I'm a musician. Uh, but around, I think it was during the pandemic that I started to say, you know what? I love writing about film. I love talking about film. Let me just start an Instagram. So I started one, which is. Uh, if you guys want to follow me at Robbie R O B B Y underscore horror, um, I'm also at Robbie horror, all one word, dot com, and I'm a staff writer for uh, Morbidly Beautiful as well.
0: Yeah, and listeners, I do want to say if you guys don't follow Rob, which will honestly surprise me, because I think there's a there's a there's a few individuals in the the queer horror scene big fans that I think a lot of people kind of flock to almost for their reviews, for their opinions. I would say you're one of them. You're someone who I always look to what your thoughts are on things because you handle it really eloquently. Um, I'd highly recommend that our listeners follow you on Instagram um, because I think you post some great material and great thoughts and opinions. I also have to say that you recently posted a single or like you're venturing into music. Like, is this new? Is this recent? Because I got to say, I listened to the single. I was like, well, I'm going to be talking to him today and I was very surprised. Like, you almost made it seem like it's like a fun little thing we're doing. And, like, it actually sounds really great. Like, not just because you're on my show. Like, honestly, seriously, I listened straight through to the whole thing that you had posted.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now, um, that was something that my one of my good friends and I, we had lost touch for about 10 years. We knew each other in college. And then during the pandemic, as a lot of people did, we kind of reconnected. And, you know, I think it was last... January, he was saying, Rob, let's write a song together. You love songwriting. You love singing and stuff. Let's do something because he's a musician and a producer in his own right. And I said, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not, that's not really my thing. I don't know if I can do it. And he badgered me for about six months until I eventually said, all right, fuck it. Let's just sit down at a piano and just let's try to write something. It sounds great. And then thank you. And I, pre- we wrote it over the course of a couple months, uh, in very few in-person, uh, sessions, but mostly, Uh, you know, through Zoom and whatnot. And then we started recording. We had some great musicians on it. And I'm just, I'm really proud of it. Um, If you guys want, uh, it's at Mr. So M-R underscore official music. That's uh, my friend Maxwell and I's kind of music venture. And we're already writing the next one. And um, our first single is going to drop on Friday. So thank
0: you for bringing that up. Awesome, man. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the whole thing. We'll definitely share that information as well. Uh, and everything we share on our social media, just to make sure that people can kind of get the full scope of what it is you do. I appreciate but yeah, that. Thank awesome. You. Congratulations on that for sure. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that's amazing. Look at the talented people we get to come on here. How do we do that, Roger? What do we do to get these We got good personalities. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, speaking of, hey, we want to do, we also want to give a shout out because we did, Roger, finally get another patron to subscribe to Patreon. So we got to give a shout out and she's, she's awesome. She is one of our biggest supporters, especially on Instagram, but we want to give her a shout out for actually joining the Patreon, and that is Aaron Gilmer. We totally appreciate your support. You are amazing. You, you definitely fuel us with your positive comments about what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And like, honestly, I, I love seeing comments from her because she the, the titles we talk about she knows them like the back of the back of her fucking hand and I, I, I like honestly her feedback her commentary and her suggestions um are all things that uh we are very thankful for and very aware of and uh Aaron has suggested a few titles that are coming up as top choices within the next few weeks I just want to throw that out there so thank you Aaron for everything you do and supporting us yes Aaron
2: and if you want to hear your lovely name shouted out go to <laughs> patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast <laughs>
0: perhaps for your valentine lover the gift what better gift to give as a valentine g- day gift than purchasing them a patreon subscription to dark But we have some
2: awesome no we really it is we have is. some <laughs> awesome no we really have some great episodes like some of our episodes that are our patreon are better than <laughs> some I, of the stuff we actually it's, we actually it's surprising post to <laughs> yeah. the masses so you're missing out god damn it go and join yes yes so Valentine, finally, Valentine, here we go. Ooh, here we go. We're jumping from 2001
0: Maniacs
2: to Valentine.
0: In my opinion, a bit of a step up, I'm going to say it right now. I like 2001 Maniacs, but God, Valentine gives me that big budget studio produced Hollywood slasher vibe that I love. Gloss, you like you like the you love the gloss, Roger. (laughs) On the lips and on the screen, (laughs) I like it, and this gives us all of it—the big glossy pouty lips, all these beautiful blonde women just pouting away. Um, And yeah, over. I mean, honestly, this movie starts strong for me. I gotta say, one thing I like is a good motive. I like uh, a throwback this opening very much gives me kind of vibes of almost like an approach that you would see on like a prom night going back to these kids in high school is it necessarily like played out great? I'm not going to say it's like 100 hitting all the marks. These girls can't act their ways out of uh, paper bags, but we do get a cherubic version of every major player in this movie. Okay, okay, <laughs> wait, we're going to
2: get there. Okay, just wait, let, let, slow down because I have I have some shit to say. So let oh, go for it. Let me hear it. All right, <laughs> okay, so okay, first of all, the film is based on a novel written by Tom Savage. Have you either of you read the novel? Because I have, I have not.
1: not. I, no, I had no okay. Idea. Have you?
2: Yeah, I haven't either. I was just curious because it is based on a novel and I, I have not had a chance to read the novel. So I was just curious if anybody, if anybody out there has read the novel, please comment and let us know like how similar it is to this film. I was just curious. Uh, but the film does open up with a a middle school dance, Valentine's Day dance with the young Jeremy, who is awkward to say the least. Yes. Uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> putting it very nicely,
2: going up to all, all the going up to all the different girls and asking them to dance. Now, some of them are, you know, politely decline. Other others are little cunts like Paige, who says that she would rather be boiled alive. Foreshadowing. Okay, now here's my question: the the. <laughs> Okay, so all the other kids are obviously like young little actresses, right? That are supposed to... Did they put Denise Richards in
0: pigtails in a, in a to make... Is that really her? <laughs> no, they just did a great job of casting these children. I think they went for looks over talent. But my God, each one of these kids is like... A, I swear a to team. God that... No,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I swear to God that is Denise Richards in a pigtail and pigtails and they just... <laughs> it looks exactly no No.
1: even watching it in high depth you're like is that is that her? like with extra (laughs) with a little bit thicker eyebrows some fuller hair like that has to
0: be and i have to say like already starting this off troy you are absolutely page I am obviously Lily, and Rob, you can have a choice, but I'm going to suggest that you're Shelly. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to give anybody Dorothy, but, like, there is Dorothy. Or, I mean, none of us are nice enough to be Kate. Kate is the only one that's like, maybe later. Uh, everybody else is a fucking cunt to this poor kid. Like, they're all bitches. I know. It's like,
1: Jesus Christ. Like, like, did y'all have to respond like that? Like, anyway. No wonder this kid loses his shit inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are, and he—he's, I mean,
2: bless his heart. He just wants to dance, like what? But again, we all grew up in in a time period where this actually seems very true to life, right? I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I, you know, this shit happened. Um, It probably still happens, just not to the extent because of the whole bullying awareness, you know, movement that has happened in the last ten years. But this was very commonplace. I mean, that's why. Uh, Valentine's Day, you know, to some is a kind of a shitty, <laughs> shitty time of year. Yeah, Because if you don't have, yeah. if you kind of are like a Jeremy, you don't have anybody, it's going to be depressing. But yeah, these little, these little girls totally shut him down. And he goes to Dorothy who I'm sorry, the whole film, they are making a big deal about how fat she was. Right. This looks like a normal <laughs> a normal sized little girl to me. I mean, they're making her sound like she's a fucking elephant.
0: I think that's part of what makes it so impactful though. Troy is like, that makes it that much more realistic. She's chunky. Yeah. You but know?
2: she's not like morbidly obese. Like they're trying
0: to make her out to be, but I mean, I can listen. I can fucking relate to that. I was a chunky kid and I, and that's, that haunted me. Like I, to this day, I have body image issues because I was a thick kid and Honestly, Dorothy's subplot as it progresses is one of the single most intriguing elements of this script, of of anything written within this script to me, because I do think one of the things that stands out about this opening is something traumatic happens, something awful happens, but it's not to the extreme, like someone getting pushed out of a window or some kid getting run over by a car. This seems to me like a very realistic case of extreme bullying that somebody would have gone through in this era that seems believable to me and i think that's why the start of this movie kind of sits with me a certain way uh, in a good way uh, it's impactful i remember this opening they do a really good job of recreating these characters and they do a really good job of setting up a situation that i buy i believe it this could happen
1: absolutely and for for people in our generation you know looking at it whether it's public humili- public humiliation at that age or you know being turned out at a dance or having someone speak to the way that little Denise Richard says, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people in, in middle school can relate to that kind of uh, just toxicity and just what it does to you over time. I and mean, you never fully get over it. It takes a long time. You know, even something as incidental as just someone turning you down like that.
2: But he does, he does convince Paige to, to dance with him because she's by herself because she is the chunky kid that nobody wants to talk to. Uh, but they, Dorothy, Dorothy, I'm sorry,
0: I'm Paige. <laughs> yes, what am I, okay. I know you are Paige. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dorothy, uh, he convinces Dorothy to to dance with him, and what they end up doing is making out under the under the bleachers, and the other kind of popular boys catch them and start taunting them. They're saying, "Oh, look at he's kissing Buffalo." And apparently, they call her Buffalo, and she immediately. Pulls away from him, and the kids are like, "Oh, is he, is he forcing himself on you? Is that weirdo forcing himself on you?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, he's forcing himself on me," which in turn causes these kids to get even more riled up, and they end up dumping the entire bowl of punch on poor Jeremy. And this is kind of the first glimpse we get of a, a of an image that carries through the entire film, and that's of his nosebleed. Uh, apparently, when he gets worked up. Um, or is put under a lot of stress, his nose starts bleeding, right? They dump the punch on him, his, his nose bleeds, and then they drag the poor kid out, pull his pants off, and beat the shit out of him right there at the dance with no teachers around. There's not one adult in this entire dance.
0: Yeah, it ends on a very like open-ended note. Like Basically, you, you don't really know what happened to the kid. Eventually, you get more information on him as time goes on, but it, it kind of just ends on that note of, of, of him getting his ass kicked, in nothing but his underwear. Um, I do worry about his, his being anemic. Um, the nosebleeds are, are a problem. like They're happening way too often, and they happen on cue. I don't know how the fuck the, his body knows to do that, but the, the nosebleed is very prominent over the course of this film. I got a lot of problems with it. It's leaving DNA everywhere. I'm just going to say that right now. So somehow the nosebleed is not really ever acknowledged to be more of a thing, which I think it should be looked at as a bit more of a thing. But that's fine. It's okay. It's a plot point. We'll move forward. Um, but yeah, this whole scene like it culminates in this ass whooping that this kid gets. And um, the, whole, the whole twist with the character of Dorothy turning on him and calling him a pervert I think is really something that's kind of a pivotal aspect that the girl in this is also like throwing the stones at him. It it really is kind of just um, a bold opening. I think they do a really good job with it.
1: Definitely. It's extremely effective. And there's also another image that uh, carries on through the rest of the film, which is uh, there's another kid observing the fight uh, wearing the Cupid mask. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. That, that Cupid cherub
1: mask.
0: Yes. Terrifying. <laughs> like who wears that? Honestly, I think it's, the most striking killer ensemble from the era. I mean, Ghostface and all these things, obviously they stick with you. They've become iconic. They're part of public knowledge, but this mask paired with that like black duster, I think makes for a really striking silhouette and they use it very well over the course of this film.
2: Yeah. It, it looks great. It's a creepy, Absolutely. creepy ensemble. We, after this opening scene, we flashed, to 13 years later and now Shelly played by Catherine Heigl who I don't know how either of you feel about her but she's definitely not one of my favorite people but she hey she she is I guess serviceable in this right she's she's on a date with uh this guy named Jason who loves to refer to himself in the third person and it is just a very uncomfortable awkward date that she cannot wait to end and in fact she basically calls the waiter over when he he calls the waiter over gets the bill has him you know request that her car gets brought to her and ends the date i just this dude is just this dude is just a douchebag and i think that roger you mentioned it but like every every And it just became really apparent and kind of really just, I I don't know the word, but every male character in this film is a fucking creep or a douchebag. There is not one good, positive male character in this film. I I don't know what what the point of making every single male character in this film be a fucking pervert, a douchebag. I just don't know. That was one thing that kind of... I with watching it this time really stuck with me is like, c- could we not at least have one kind of positive male character in this film?
0: Well, I think that plays a big part into honestly, why this film isn't necessarily as remembered or as successful. Um And I say that I, I personally don't have an issue with that. I think it was almost a creative choice. Everything about this film leans almost feminine from The females playing the roles to the fact that they are stronger personalities who don't put up with bullshit to some of their story arcs dealing with things like body image issues to the overall glamour and the wardrobes and the locations. I mean, it has a very almost feminine eye. This movie kind of just drips feminine appeal in a way that most movies of the genre do not. And in some ways, I think it's a bold choice because I really think this is one of the few films within the slasher genre, I can think of that almost, it feels to me, it was made more for women than it was for men.
2: And that's what I said. I guess that was my point in asking either of you, if you had read the novel, because I'm wondering if it's basically because I wonder if the original source material was this sort of, and I hate to use this. I really hate to use this phrase, but I can't think it was this anti men. I wonder if the novel rung that way because this film really comes off as being like anti-male. Because even the even the men characters that pop in that you assume are going to be good guys that are going to be caring end up being fucking douchebags. I'm talking about like the detective. I mean, they don't give any male character in this film any positive trait whatsoever. And I I would I, it wouldn't be an issue then if if like the females in this film are the reason why this whole film is happening. So it's not like these females are these holy, you know, likable characters to begin with. So it's like the film to me is just full of these characters that are just awful with the exception of possibly Kate, because she was the, the nice one. But let's be honest, you know, uh, the character of like Lily and the character of Paige let's be honest, they don't have a lot of depth to them. Even the female characters, in my opinion, with the exception of possibly uh, Dorothy are pretty one dimensional to me. So I I feel like that's, I'm just getting right to it. I feel like this, if anything that this film suffers, it is the characters in this film are just not there. There's no depth to them. And it just gets really tiring seeing, like every male character that pops up on screen being a fucking douchebag.
1: I can appreciate that. Hmm. I never. Yeah, definitely. I I, I hadn't really thought about that in terms of it being more geared towards women, but um, it may, it does make sense. The softness of the lighting and the, just the the glow that surrounds this film. Uh, The fact that the female characters have some semblance of complexity over the male characters who are just, you know, the only one male character who has some sort of, again, complexity or depth to them. Is revealed to be. Are we going to spoilers well, already? Or like, I, I, we...
0: I, let's let's save it for the. No, well, you know what? I, I mean, I guess you can say it. I really don't care if you want to say it now. Well, you know where I'm going with that. <laughs> but, but yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah. I know what you're saying. The, the one character yeah. that does seem to have some compassion to him ends up being the killer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right?
2: We're not going to say who it is right now. Yeah, but um, but that's that was. And I'm sorry to go 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 there so soon. But that I just I was I just got really. It just got to me. It just got really grating. Uh, having all these douchey care and not and not because they were men. Like, don't don't get me. I'm not trying to come off as being like, oh, I, I'm a male. So this film is anti man. No, 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 not that at all. It's just like, good God, can these why are these male characters all written almost exactly the same way? I, I would it would be different if they were like distinctly different and distinctly douchey in different ways. But they're not like it's basically one huge stereotype of a male douche character that they created that is then applied to every single male character in the film.
1: No, yeah, it's true. You got like the Detective Vaughn, Campbell, Max, Brian, Jason Marcat. These are all very just lecherous, creepy, cre- you know, characters.
2: It's all one character trait that all these male characters possess. And it just gets, I guess it, it just becomes super unbelievable. Not that, I mean, it's a slasher film. I know it's not, but it's just,
0: I, and it really is like, it is like scenario after scenario after scenario of these women being mistreated or let down by men. Uh, even with the character with the most complexity, though he is layered and actually like, you know, he's going through some human issues, he's ultimately failing at this relationship he shares with this character because he is struggling with his own personal demons. So it is, it is something that is explored probably too thoroughly through this film. Though I, and I will say one thing, Troy, you said, you know, these, that these female characters, don't have a lot of depth to them, and I'll agree with you on that. They're pretty shallow overall because the main focus in this film is their journey of kind of finding a mate. But what they lack in depth or nuance, they I think they make. I don't want to say make up for it, but they balance it out with a shit ton of personality. These girls may not be the most, uh, the you know, they're they're not as deep as maybe like a Sydney Prescott or some of these other. Amazing women we've seen in, within the genre, but these girls do exude a shit ton of personality. Uh, even though they all are blonde and they look similar, I can still fucking tell them apart because they all have their own personality quirks. I get kind of what they're dealing with, and they all have a bite to them. I really enjoy them on camera.
1: I was going to say the same thing. It's like, regardless of what the script gives them, the actresses, uh, including Catherine Heigl, who, again, has just, you know, I wish you had a little bit more screen time, but. Um, any sort of depth or complexity, or you know, Roger to your point, personality is from the actresses. They're 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 all uniformly very strong in this one, um, and it helps to, if not recover, it helps compensate for the lack of nuance, you know, on the on paper.
2: Yeah. So after her after her date with with this Jason dude ends. She goes to work at the morgue. She apparently is is studying to be a doctor so her assignment is to prepare this corpse. Chad Chad the corpse. the hot corpse, uh, the hot corpse. Uh, <laughs>
1: no no lie. <laughs> yeah,
2: so she she's working on this corpse. she's gonna do the autopsy on this corpse when all of a sudden she hears something uh, like a door slam shut so she obviously goes to have a look kind of a it's a very creepy setting because it is a it's a morgue obviously it's look like it's kind of looks like a dungeon it's just this labyrinth of dark hallways and you know hospital beds and things like that so as she's looking we do get a a jump scare with her coworker jumping out and asking her if everything's okay she's going to he's going to leave for the night is she okay and she's like yeah 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 i'm going to be here with my with my corpse chad the corpse there, we right.
0: already got two nice guys. We got Chad the corpse and we got the co-worker. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Neither of them do I anything. I it wrong. sounds like th- those
1: are the nicest male characters. <laughs> the only ones with no perceivable downfalls. Right, cool.
2: But she goes back into the, into the room where, where the corpse is and there's a Valentine card waiting for her. The whole gist of the Valentine's card is that it's something like, you know, I can't remember the, the beginning of it. But I know it ends with saying that she is going to bleed from her neck. Now. That's creepy. I would probably leave. But instead, she goes back to the corpse, Chad, and she's going to cut him open as she sees his stomach
0: move. He's breathing. Let's pause here because I already got a few things I need to bring up. First of all, I love a good morgue scene. Give me a morgue. It sets the mood. Already, we're in it to win it. Um, I love that she's hacking up this body and nothing but a tank top. She's looking like Laura Croft. Just she's getting into it like <laughs> she looks like a sensible, doctorate Laura Croft. Uh, I I do want to say though, you know, I love this build up. I this opening sequence I think is a standout from the era, but I do find this whole scenario. She gets back to the body. The stomach breathes. She panics. She she backs up. She knocks open a closet and Chad the corpse falls out and startles her. She looks back. Whoever was on the table, they're gone. Okay. I get that we're setting up some suspense. I get that we're, you know, we want to go for some scares. But you're trying to tell me that in that time frame, <laughs> A, well, first of all, the killer has perfect abs that perfectly match Chad's. So let's acknowledge that. B, he managed to dress himself and flee the scene. Within mere seconds, without being seen by fucking Shelly. I don't. I don't buy it. I'll go with it, but it's a. It's really stretching the imagination already.
1: Yeah, we're, we're ten minutes in. It's always like, like you don't want it within ten minutes. To be like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Like, in, imagine if she had turned and seen, uh, whoever it turns out to be kind of running away, just stark naked. You'd be like, what the hell's going yes. on? Yes,
0: <laughs> she. <laughs> what if she didn't react
1: that how way? Is yeah, that possible. <laughs> well. Uh,
2: but how did he also know that he she
1: wasn't just going to start cutting into him without hesitating? Yeah, that's true. He's under a blanket. How is he supposed to see what's going on? He doesn't know where that scalpel's going to go. You know,
2: I mean, this whole yeah, this whole thing. Just he was he's trusting that she's going to take her time and then see him breathe. Like, dude, she could have just shoved the fucking scalpel right into your stomach. Like the whole the whole scenario. It's, yeah, it, it's silly.
1: It, it's a shocking moment, but for all the wrong reasons. You're like, wait, none of that makes any sense, but here we are. Right.
0: But I do feel that like one of this, one of the pitfalls of this film is there are occasionally times where it goes for style over substance. Um, it would rather go for the visual of the effect over the plausibility of that moment actually occurring and the realism behind it. But it's okay. I can stretch my imagination. It's a fucking slasher called Valentine about a killer Cupid. Okay. We'll, we'll roll with it. But uh, And I have to say... I, though that is one of my issues, I do love the delicate touch of those beautiful red envelopes they receive. I love that they all receive these little cards. You know, I like my movies to have little like kind of token aspects or little little things that they can claim is like that's specific to that movie. Each, you know, Scream's got the phone calls. All of these slashers, they kind of have their little token thing they do to like mark their presence or when they're targeting somebody. And I love that he sends out these like beautiful, elegant Valentines that actually are quite morbid and when you pull the lever or whatever, it reveals like a gruesome effect. I think it's really well thought out. I don't know where he fucking got them. Is he making them himself? <laughs> Hallmark. <laughs> I was gonna ask the same thing. I was like <laughs> they're awfully elaborate and
1: very well done, but where did he get and also to that end, um I, I remember even before seeing the film, one of the marketing things was on the WB website they had you can send, you know, whoever you wanted their own kind of morbid digital card. Do you guys remember that? It was amazing. I sent them to like, I, I think everyone that I knew. That's amazing. I had awesome. no idea that that actually happened. It's, you oh, sent
2: yeah. people Valentine's Day insane you were going to cut no, their there, It was like
1: flash cards, you know, or not, not flash cards. It was like, uh, what what do you call them? Is it flash? that Like that outdated kind of oh, yeah. thing? The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I think you can kind of pick a customized template or whatnot. Uh, anyway, that, that for whatever the
0: reason it that just popped in my head. That's the kind of marketing I need for my movies. I want interactive fucking marketing. Absolutely. It's kind of like the equivalent of like going to a stab viewing and getting a ghost face mask. Give me things that I can hold, things I can touch, or things that I can digitally send to people. I'll do it. I'll absolutely do it. So at this point we know we know Shelly's locked in. We've learned this. Check. Uh she's arming herself with a scalpel, so at least she's somewhat resourceful. Um and she started to like slowly move towards the exit because the door's open. As she's moving towards the door, this pair of arms reaches out from behind one of the sheets and grabs her. And it seems like she stabs the individual on in the leg, but we never see anything of it. Like they're, they're never injured. They're never limping. Because as she takes off running, we get our first clear view of the killer. And like we said, he makes for a really striking visual. The The mask, which is this very like pristine, almost like porcelain, baby face mask. It's a Cupid mask with this like really like effective structured black coat. It just looks really great. It's a great combination.
2: Yeah, it really is. Especially like seeing him at the end of this like darkly or this dark hallway that's like that's lit very soft and just seeing his hulking figure with this Cupid mask on. Definitely an imposing, you know, image. And yeah, he gets stabbed. She does stab him in the leg with the scalpel. It's very obvious she does it. But then it's never never mentioned again that the character who ends up being the killer never, yeah. obviously, is perfectly fine because we see him in the next scene and he's not walking with a limp. He didn't have to go to the hospital. I would assume if you get a scalpel shoved in your upper leg, that that's going to do some damage. But
1: apparently, not. yeah, there are a few injuries that this killer receives that do not correspond with what yeah. they look like out of the mess. But it, it's, you know, like, like you said, it's par for the course. But I'm um, also, when we do see that first kind of, foreboding image of the killer. We also get a really fun orchestral cue from composer Don Davis, which is very much like this kind of, I guess Michael Myers, it's like a dunna, dunna. And I have issues with the score insofar as it sounds, all of it like was done on a Casio keyboard, but that cue in particular and the opening one, which is like a nice kind of uh, ballad piano, um, they're really two memorable uh, parts of the soundtrack.
0: So she's getting chased through these corridors, a relatively brief chase sequence overall, um, mostly because we devoted most of her time on camera to her date sequence. We do get a nice little chase that uh, leads her into basically the room where it seems a a bunch of the bodies are being stored and they're all zipped up in black body bags. Um, And she's got nowhere else to go. So she decides to hide in one of the bags. And of course, the killer comes into the room. And there's this whole kind of tense sequence of the killer pacing down the aisle, going up to each body, starts unzipping the bags at first, and then he just starts stabbing into them. Um, and, you know, I get her reasoning. Like, sure, she's at a dead end. Like, what else do you fucking do, I guess? But uh, overall, I do think this is the worst possible situation that she could have possibly put herself in. Like, you are completely restricted within this this bag. You are restricted. You can't, you can't reach out and grab them or defend yourself. Hide in the fridge. There's a fridge, like hide in there, hide behind the door. He's wearing a mask with no peripheral vision. Just hide behind the door, sit there. And when he starts stalking away, just run around it and get out of there. But she decides to zip herself in one of these bags. And that inevitably is her demise. And it's an effective sequence. It is. It's, it's a cool sequence, but like,
2: you would think she could hear him going down the the aisle and stabbing all the bodies. Like, why would you just lay there? I, at that point, I, I don't know. I would get up completely encompassed in this black bag and run around like a fucking idiot because I'm not,
0: at least I know I'm, I, I might run into a wall. I might, <laughs> you're just legs in a bag. Yeah. You, look like yeah, one yeah. Of the, you look like one of the things from silent hill. Like it's just like a blob with a, yeah. <laughs> but, but,
1: but... It's uh... yes. It's like exactly. a, a potato sack race where you die at
0: the end. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah it's, it's I would lo- I'd, I'd love to see this visual troy make it happen for me
2: but no <laughs> or do you remember like do you remember you remember in the movie fargo where you know the wife yeah oh she, my god she gets when they first get her out of the car and she's tied with her hands behind the back and she has that bag over overhead she's running around the yard running into shit and they're laughing at her that would be that would but be at least me. you'd be
0: trying to get the fuck out of there
2: at least i'm not just gonna lay there and let the fucker come and slip my throat
1: no, and, and to that point, it's like the per- the lack of peripheral vision on the mask is something that very rarely do uh, slasher killers like the victim the people who are being pursued never really think about that. It's like hide to his side and just jump him or run. You know, when he walks in, just you run. Not past a scalpel.
0: You won't see you, you. Just yeah, just stab him from behind. Do something, but please don't put yourself in a small pocket where you literally have no room to move your limbs whatsoever he's going to get you and get, and get get her he does he he walks up he slices her throat we don't see the wound it's very PG13 um but you know he cuts her throat and we do see the blood start dripping down the tube in uh into where the blood collects from the you know in the morgues they have those little drain areas uh so it's a cool little shot and we do get the visual of the mask where the nostril starts to reveal that there is a nosebleed. And this is something that carries through with every kill. We get these nosebleed shots. It very much establishes right off the bat that we, the viewer know who the killer is uh, because this is too specific to not be that person, you know?
2: Yeah. And so that is the end of Catherine Heigl.
0: Just a taste, a taste of Catherine Heigl.
2: Well, apparently, I don't know. I don't know if I'm wrong, but apparently she doesn't really acknowledge this film. So, Eh. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, she seems like
1: given
0: she's... what we know about her, her, her personal taste in film. Uh, yeah, Kevin Heigl that. can go fuck herself because this movie is this movie <laughs> is phenomenal, and I'm gonna say it, I'll say it to her face. Go fuck yourself, Kevin Heigl. It's one of it's one of the best films in her in, in her, her, her repertoire. Let's
1: <laughs>
2: I, mean, I mean, come on. It's not like she's done like Oscar caliber films for her not to to acknowledge this. But she'll. I mean, yeah. she's
1: got knocked That's up. She's a solid actress. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, so Kevin Heigl is dead. Roger, when you do our Instagram post, be sure to say fuck you at Catherine Catherine Heigl. Heigl Let's let's make
0: sure she knows it. it. Come find me, (laughs) Catherine Heigl. (laughs) You want to come for Valentine? I'll come for your face, (laughs) Catherine Heigl. But anyway, so Catherine Heigl is dead. The munchkins rejoice. Uh, And we're moving on. And we're moving on. And um, Denise Richards, we see her. She's got some great fucking hair. Uh, Marley Shelton with those massive doe eyes, like saucers, uh, reflecting pools of light. Her eyes are so big. I love them. Uh, Right off the bat, the first thing, they're discussing issues with their exes. uh, And it's very quickly brought up that Kate's latest ex, Adam, has a drinking problem. I mean, they put it right out there, right on the table. Like, first thing, you know that the guy she's been seeing is an alcoholic.
2: And, what, what, is, and what, are they, what is their remedy for, for their relationship troubles? It's to go to a speed dating session where, for the course of, what, three minutes, we get introduced to a string of just
0: douchey, <laughs> douchey guys. One right after. This turbo dating is, is a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess for all involved, really. But
1: like, it, it's uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Actually, I think it's hysterical. I agree. A little a little I, bit I, of a
0: trifle of a scene, but it's uh, it's amusing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's extremely entertaining. And, and it, it's one of those things like you – I've never even put myself into a position where I would ever attend a speed dating because even without seeing this movie, this is how I imagine it going. But from the people I know who have done a speed dating scenario, this is exactly what you should yeah. expect. I mean I don't know
2: what the whole – I. <laughs> So you, you go and you talk to someone for 30 seconds and you're supposed to be able to determine whether you want to continue to see them or not. I don't know, but these guys that she, meet that they meet, like I said, are all just either weirdos or total douches, right? Culminating with fucking Brian.
0: You know what I find mind-boggling about this movie is even the guys that they've cast in this film who are not supposed to come off as douchebags right away still have an undeniably douchey aspect to them. Like, even before they reveal the great douchebag reveal, because Brian, of course, ends up being a douchebag. We learn later. He's still, first glance, I'm like, this guy's a fucking douchebag. They cast some very unsavory, undesirable men in this film. He looks like a dude. He does. He looks completely. He looks like a total douchebag. Yeah, and the fact that Paige just like swoops right in and steals Brian from Sweet Doe-eyed Marley Shelton, like normally would be an issue for me, but I think because these girls do bring such personality—again, I'm going to use the term—such um, personality to these roles, it's almost like acceptable because you feel like these characters have genuinely known each other for a very long time. Yeah,
1: you can see in Paige's expression, she's like, I don't know if this is for Kate, but this one's for me, though. And she's just like, (laughs) like, literally just puts her hand on Kate's shoulder. She's like, hey there, what's going on? Yeah, I like that moment.
2: Well, speed dating was a bust, so they're leaving. And at this point, Kate gets a call from Dorothy. And it's obviously bad news. We don't really hear what it is, but we do right away after the phone call cut to Shelly's funeral, where... To me, none of these girls seem too shaken up that their friend was murdered.
0: Well, no. I mean, fucking Paige is dressed like she's about to, like, walk on the set of a porn. (laughs) And Lily points us out immediately. She's like, come on, like,
1: cover up a little bit.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so at this point, we are introduced to the rest of the cast. We get Lily. We get Dorothy, played by
0: Jessica Capshaw, Kate Capshaw's daughter. Uh, and we get Adam. Yeah, sexy, hunky, David Boreanaz is is honestly, like I said, I think he's one of the best parts of the film. He brings a very understated, um, grounded realism to the role of Adam, not necessarily something you would expect from this movie. Uh, And he's still, even though he's kind of going through like his personal issues, his drinking problem, it's basically the only topic they really talk about the whole film, um, he still manages to be super charming i think that's pretty impressive seeing as the only story arc he really gets for a majority of the film is that he's a recovering alcoholic um i'm really impressed that he could still manage to make this guy likable
1: no, i agree he's he's clearly done his homework and he wants to come uh you know i think i'm not sure if this is one of his probably his first major film role right like in terms of uh like studio pictures and stuff after angel Um, So he really came prepared to deliver something that was um, as complex as possible. And um, I think even in hindsight, watching the film again, there's tons of little looks and nuances to what he's doing that are, that just, I didn't pick up on it. Um, You know, I I first saw this film in high school and looking back at it now, I'm even more impressed with his work in particular uh, and Jessica Capshaw. Detective
2: Vaughn is also at this funeral and he wants to question the girls, gives them his, gives them His card says, hey, call me if you remember anything. And he sort of becomes a recurring character throughout the film. Um, After the funeral, Dorothy goes home to her beautiful mansion that she lives in with her father. This fucking mansion. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Jesus Christ. It's beautiful.
2: And this is when she gets the infamous Valentine's card that has the when she opens it up, it says roses are red. Violets are blue. They'll need dinner records
0: to identify you. I would love to get that card. Like I would get that. I'd be like, somebody really knows me. (laughs) (laughs) I would be extremely... I know. I'd be like, the keys to my heart. (laughs) Oh my God. Nobody would ever think to send me that, which is a shame. But I love that in the scene... Most of the scenes with Dorothy in general, I think are some of the best handled moments in the film. This scene specifically... You get quite a lot of backstory on Dorothy real quick. Um, you're introduced to her father and you're introduced to his wife, her stepmother, Kim, who is, I mean, I'm assuming younger than Dorothy. Like, I really think this girl is maybe two years younger than Dorothy is at this point. Um <laughs> this character, Kim, is only in this scene. She's she's basically she's called a mail order bride from hell. So you get the setup real quick, but God, I was wishing and praying for this bitch to die. You never get a taste of her again. But like I really wanted this broad to get killed on camera. Oh, she is screaming for like a an extended chase here. Or even like the uh
1: well, there's another character who experiences a fate that one would have wished for this character.
2: Oh yeah, I know you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, but poor, poor Kim. We need justice for Kim. She definitely needed a bigger role because she goes head to head with Dorothy. Um, because what happens is Campbell shows up to Dorothy's place and says that he needs a place to stay. Well, he doesn't come out and say it, but he's like, uh, I, I'm in a bit of a trouble. My roommate bailed and didn't pay the rent. So all my stuff was thrown out and I don't have anywhere to go. I have no money because all my money is invested in the startup. So I don't really have anything to do. So she tells her housekeeper to make up a room for for Campbell and that he's going to stay with
0: with them. This housekeeper fucking hates Dorothy. Her dad oh, her name is Millie and Dorothy first of all Dorothy's like Millie and Millie like looks at her with this fucking death glare and she's like go yeah go set up a room and she's like did your father approve of this? And she's like no. I fucking approved it, Millie. Go fucking do it. Like She puts Millie in her goddamn place right away. but (laughs) Millie cannot stand her. And I think this goes to say something. One thing I appreciate about all of this scene, beginning to end, is you get a lot of things about Dorothy. You realize that, A, she is a spoiled fucking cunt. (laughs) Like, this girl's been raised with a silver spoon in her mouth. Even if she hates her stepmom and she's mad at her dad, she's still fucking loaded. This girl is super rich. Uh, This house she lives in is insane. The maids hate her. I wonder why. It's because she's a bitch. So, like, I feel bad for Dorothy for some of the things she's going through. But other aspects of Dorothy, I'm like, Dorothy, I'm sorry. You're a fucking bitch. Maybe things would go better for you if you were just nicer to people.
2: Yeah, Dorothy is miserable. She's a miserable, miserable character. But she also is a character who, because of her past, craves love and attention and she, because of this she does not see very obvious red flags right because this whole Campbell character as hot as he is is a fucking giant red flag that she totally ignores uh so as Campbell is going to his room the, that's when the stepmom sees him and she's like Ooh, who's 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 your hot friend and they get into this little spat where the mom, the stepmom, Kim, makes a joke about basically Dorothy having no sex life. And Dorothy says, well, yeah, I do have a sex life and I don't have to charge for by the hour for it like you do. Uh, and then calls her a yeah mail order bride from hell. The, the 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 mother starts cussing her out in her, her native language. The dad comes down, takes the mother's side.
0: Yeah. Dorothy is a spoiled bitch. But this scene, one of the. The best aspects of it, in my opinion, and and why I'm happy they included the character of Kim, even if it was for the sole purpose of this. Um, even though she's a bitch, Dorothy, you see the a lot of little delicate details just in the daddy issues that are portrayed with the sequence. The dad sides with a young, attractive male order bride over his own daughter without even blinking an eye. Uh, you could see Dorothy's upset and her hurt in the the situation, and yeah, everything that happens with you know, her new love interest arriving at the house, how quick, how willing she is to just drop everything and welcome her into her home without even questioning it or in any way setting herself up to not be hurt. You know, it, it, you learn a lot about this character in the sequence, I feel.
1: It's, and it's so truthful too. Like you, you brought up a great point. It's like superficially, this character has everything, but emotionally, romantically, from her father, from, just men in her life. She just is not getting what she really wants. And, uh, emotionally she's completely at sea right now.
2: And a lot of it is her super, super, super low self-esteem, right? Um, so we cut to Kate's apartment. She's in the shower. Uh, she hears a noise, gets out. We get to kind of this extended scene of her walking around her apartment, looking for this noise. She comes back to get in the shower and there's no water, her water shut off. So she calls her manager to come, you know, to turn her water back on, leaves a
0: message. And she is forced to rinse her hair out in the toilet. This scene in particular <laughs> is is honestly probably the most memorable scene for me from the film for the sheer fact that she finds dipping her hair into her toilet to be a solution, the only solution. Like, I mean, I, in in what world? And absolutely, in no situation would I ever... Be willing to lower myself to that level. That being said, I I mean, none of you have never seen my toilet. So I'm hoping she has a a cleaner toilet. (laughs) But like, I mean, in what fucking world, Kate? Come on. But that uh, that aside, I love like the buildup here. And even like, again, some of the little details. The noises she's hearing, it's the pipes, all these little things. Like, you have these real kind of simple, natural explanations for certain moments, like the things they're hearing, why certain things are happening, why certain things are, are like occurring the way that they do. Um, they do a really great job with some of these buildups to make things feel very, like, I don't know, not intimidating at first. And then, like, she gets out into the hallway, she sees the elevator doors ajar. As she gets closer, she sees. The mask, and what a perfect like introduction for this mask to come back into her life. I really love this moment. I think it really well sets the tone for what's about to come.
1: I would agree with that. And there's more so than any other slasher I can think of. There's a lot of, I think almost every character at some point goes down a hallway or you know around the apartment or in a basement or something. Just long, slow, deliberate walks. With like the piano in the background, but this one is one of the more uh, effective ones for the, for the, all those reasons.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like the fact that I like the fact that the mask is preventing the elevator door from closing, so all you hear you hear the elevator door trying to close and that kind of dinging, the ding, 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 as it's trying to close, and she's walking slowly towards it. And we're we we as the audience is like, what in the world's going on? But we see it's the cherub mask, the that is. There, blocking the elevator, she picks it up, and of course, her neighbor comes out. Who is big <sighs> fucking surprise? Another fucking weird douchebag right from the back.
0: What What the fuck is with the caliber of men that these women manage to attract? I mean, Gary, Gary, who rhymes everything like that is the that is what this guy has going for him. Blush everything heart. he says to Kate rhymes with Kate but they're all also they all manage to be offensive like you look great Kate you want to be my mate Kate and then she's like you're scary Gary like I mean but it is literally that's all this guy has he rhymes shit which makes him seem very cuckoo bananas and uh there's nothing more to describe him well other than what he gets into in a few scenes and that's all this guy has on camera like literally he's just there to be deplorable Oh, he's
2: awful. And as she's walking away, she's like, he's like, you're my fate, Kate.
1: And it's also, it's at this point where you socialize with um, Campbell. Now, Gary and Adam as well. You're starting to realize, wait, any one of these guys, they're all built in a similar fashion. They all could feasibly be Jeremy. And that continues on. Um, I don't, did anyone at any
0: point suspect Detective Vaughn as well? well you know what, man? I got to I've got to say this completely, completely agree with what you're saying. Troy, based off of what you said earlier, with, with the, the fact that all of the men are douchebags in this does feel unrealistic, I agree. However, what I also have to say about this film is for, for being a situation where you basically know who the killer is, you know, you know, it's Jeremy, his nose is fucking bleeding 24 seven. So like, it's gotta be that individual. But that aside, we don't necessarily know what he looks like. If he's had plastic surgery, they bring this up. This movie provides an uncanny amount of red herrings that surpasses any other film I've ever seen. (laughs) I get
2: it. I get it. I get, I get the fact that maybe that's why they made all of the male characters, douchey weirdo assholes, uh, is because they wanted to give red herrings. I'm saying this from me. I don't know. I think though, it's very obvious who the killer is. Well, but
0: I agree on that, Troy. But I also have to give them credit. the fact that they'd still tried yes. that hard.
2: they <laughs> they tried. But they tried. They didn't succeed because I think it's very obvious. I mean, he just happens to be at all the places where, these people are being killed right down to the point where the one time we, we'll get there but i i don't think i mean i yes they tried to make red herrings and i guess if you're not paying attention and you're just casually watching the movie it might come to a it might come as a surprise when the killer is revealed but i think it's super obvious
1: it's but yeah it's sort of like billy with in scream how right from the beginning you're immediately suspecting him and the film just Everything but point point a neon sign, I'm saying it's him. But Roger, to your point, they do a really good job of, well, I don't know if it's a great job, but like they, do, they put in the effort to point the fingers in multiple directions. And through the course of just how the plot unfolds, really makes you question yourself at a, at a
0: few key points. You know, I got to say that I was watching recently, and this just ties in, it's a perfect note. I was watching a, um, a spoiler-filled review for the latest Scream. And the one of the points that this guy brought up in this video was the occasional, but often avoided, but occasional plot twist of the movie going with the the known killer, going with the killer that you suspected from day one. He used terror train as an, or um, I'm sorry, um, which is which is the the one with the New Year's Eve party on the train. Terror train. It is yep. tra- okay, hair okay, train. Okay, so yeah, no, yeah. yeah. So you used hair train as the example of you. Basically, you know in your gut who the killer is, but they still go through with all of the steps of like masking the individual, giving you reason to suspect it could be somebody else. Only for in the finale, it is revealed you were right all along. Like, you were correct the entire time. What this movie does do, and I give them credit for it, it's not even totally necessary. They didn't need to do this. They could have just... Honestly, they could have just told us who the fucking killer was from day one, and we're just watching a bunch of chicks get killed off who have no idea. The fact that they threw out as many red herrings as they did for the sake of story and, like, twists and turns, only for that to be the outcome, I mean... Again, I give them credit. They they gave me a wild ride. <laughs> you know, like if it could have turned out to be any of these fuckers, it just happened to be the one I suspected from the beginning. It's the known killer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh
2: Paige and Lily are back at their place watching tapes of apparently Lily has is having men send her tapes, like dating tapes. I don't know. The the doorbell rings. There's nobody there, but there is a box of there's a Valentine, a, a box of chocolates. For for Paige, or for Lily, sorry, with a Valentine for, and she opens it up, and it's again, it's something that ends with savor the taste. You are what you eat, and we see the initials, uh, the card is signed with the initials J M. So she takes a chocolate out of the the Valentine box and and takes a bite of it, and
0: it's full of fucking maggots. This moment is fucking disgusting. Yeah this this fucking killer is working over i mean i gotta give him credit how, how this killer you... is oh, huh. always in the right place and he's always there at the right fucking it's time it's really elaborate um i gotta acknowledge how desperate are these fucking women like video dating is this even a thing that happened at some point do people do this video dating it it was a, it was a thing my dad met his
1: uh is, is well, my, oh, my step okay. Well, now I feel but, horrible. Uh, it's it's very obviously very uh, no, no, I, no, no 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 it's it's very outdated. And I I just well, not well, how these, I would. These
0: women are stunningly beautiful, and all they're digging up are just god the the lowest of lows. But whatever, I mean, Lance doesn't seem too bad. but... He seems you know, very pure and very Christianly. Yeah, very very
1: innocent, blase, if you
0: will. Yeah, um, you can see Lily kind of falling asleep during that. Yeah, one. but I I, I do. Think that even though it is, this movie has a heightened reality beginning to end. I mean, it's telling a really fun story, but it's always just a pinch unrealistic, even down to like the, the, the mansion and how fucking elaborate it is. Like, do people really live in mansions like that? I'm sure they do. But like, you know, everything about it is a little bit larger than life. So when you get scenarios like the chocolate covered maggots or certain things that seem like how did the killer manage to pull this off? I can still like consider it palatable because everything does feel like it has this hint of gloss, this larger than life element.
2: Do you know it all? Do you know what this movie also has a lot of? Chocolates? Men with no. well, that men with the initials JM. A ton of them.
0: What are the chances? How many
2: yeah. what are the yeah, exactly. Well, how many fucking people do you know? Can you can you think of one person right now that you know that has the initials JM? I can't. But yeah, in this film every fucking male they run into is initials is JM. <laughs> Because they're thinking, they're trying to sit there and think about who, who they know with the initials JM. So they're going through all these guys and, and Paige jokingly mentions Jeremy Milton, which Lily is like, oh my God, I haven't thought about him for years. Whatever happened to him? And she's like, I don't, I don't know, you know, but, um, you know, we were so awful to him and they're like, oh yeah, there's no way it could be him. Uh, and
0: then we cut to the, th- that evening. They are at some like art event. This fucking art show is the the single most like turn of the millennium nonsense I have ever seen in my life. Just people's mouths. Oh my god. Just <laughs> mouths on screens. Like oh, licking lips and teeth and bad life. teeth. Oh, collarbones. Just people's yeah. collarbones on screens.
2: It's hosted by Max. <laughs> who I don't know my god. Is, is can, can we is Max a nice guy? Is he a great No, he's a fucking douchebag.
0: He's lovely. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. And what the fuck is Jason doing at this goddamn thing?
1: (laughs) That's my, like, upon rewatch, that's my biggest question. What is he doing there? Why is he smiling at the girls and then looking ominous and then kind of shifting off? Yeah, there's nothing
0: like... It's not like he looks up and sees detective Vaughn and runs away. He just all of a sudden like gets weird and he like slinks into the background. I don't know. Maybe they're desperately trying to make Jason like a legitimate red herring, but he just reads very socially uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. I I, get that point. The only feasible one that it could be is, is perhaps him. He's the most obvious one. He does resemble uh, the young Jeremy Melton that we've seen already, probably the most. Um, But yeah, out of all the plot contrivances in this film, that's the one scene where I'm just like, what is, what what was that about? Like, but um, it's not supposed to make sense. Well, and then
0: on top of that, the girls are like, look what we have here. And like, I'm sorry, this guy, beyond the things he says being creepy, like he just exudes creepiness. This guy doesn't look stable. He's got crazy wild eyes. And like, he looks at women like they're pieces of meat. And like, you know. Page is just like, look at this guy. What are you doing over there? Come on over here. Like, try to lure him over. I'm sorry. Like, do these girls really have that low of standards that they're just going for like any creep standing in the corner oogling over them?
1: At 45 minutes in, it it seems like that, and you it's just you know again that's the one that's one of the things
0: about the film that you just you, you roll with it and you're like it doesn't quite ring true, but uh, but for anyway. all of my critiques and criticisms, I gotta say the fucking wardrobe. Is on point. Oh yeah, pages costumes. Troy, we're come on. When we do that calendar, <laughs> Valentine's February. <laughs> Don't get me started on February. We got a whole fucking movie to pick from.
2: Oh god, yeah, the fashion.
0: Uh, but yeah, now, f- <laughs>
2: I want to. We we need to do. We we need to have the photo shoot inside of a hallway with mouths and. You know, lips.
0: <laughs> Rob, we'll have you cameo as the mouths on the TV screens. It'll be perfect. We're doing a calendar. What do you like to yes. do? Yes, what do you like to do And Love Me? Just uh-huh. men's voices re- like, just demanding just love.
1: <laughs> one of the creepiest visuals in the film, I might add. It's just like, like and they, the camera links are like lingers on it for like a few seconds too long. I'm just like, I, what? No. Yeah. Because
2: basically the whole art show we find out from max, the whole art show is these, the go, the girls go in one, down one hallway, the guys separate and go down the other and each hallway, you know, if it's the girls go down the hallway and it's just a bunch of TV screens. It's like a maze and it's a maze of TV screens with all of these mouths just saying, what do you like to do? Love me. Love me. What do you like to do? <laughs> and I'm like, this is, what the fuck is
0: this? But. Well, and the girls feel the same way. They're kind of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, but,
2: well, Lily is making out then with, with Max at, at the end of one of the hallways. And, you know, when we, when we think he couldn't get, he couldn't get any douchier, this fucking random girl shows up <laughs> and starts watching <laughs> him. And she's like rubbing her breasts and, and Lily like sees her. And she's like, uh, Max, who the fuck is that? get it he's like oh that's amy and she's like who the fuck's amy he's like what do you mean Jesse? yeah he's like she's sitting there like rubbing herself he's like i invited her
0: god damn it max god, god damn it max can't one man in this film be fucking respectful to a woman uh i will say that what this leads into is is a pretty great setup and I also have to say that out of all the characters, if there's one I would have requested more screen time from, it's Lily. Lily, because yeah, God, yeah. she's just charismatic. I love the way she confronts him here, where she's like, "What the? F- what are you talking about? <laughs> like she's she's so like aggressive and sassy and snappy, and I love her energy. She calls him a hypocritical sleaze ball. She's like, I'm you're a
2: hypocritical sleazeball. I'm leaving. I have to catch a flight in the morning. He's like, Well, I guess you're not gonna be my
1: Valentine then, huh? It's like, no, bitch, she's uh, not, okay? He, but but Jessica Caulfield, though, really quick, she had a great couple years. I think it was um Urban Legends Final Cut, then this, and then Legally Blonde, if I'm and not, then, if, and, mm-hmm. then and then White Chicks. And then White Chicks, and then I've just I wish, you know, she had such life force on screen. I wish she was
0: uh, around more often. I'm not sure if she it's still working well, but she's they're doing a legally blonde uh 3 and she is attached she is mm-hmm. yeah bet. she's definitely attached that's that's something i look forward to because yeah you know what? she's one of my favorite like underrated actresses of that era she she does have a lot of presence on camera she's not in a ton of scenes in this movie but every time she does pop up in this film she just kind of like steals the moment she's just yeah she's snappy she's got energy she's fun uh one thing before leading up to inevitably what's about to happen here i do want to point out uh everyone's here at this event everyone's participating dorothy shows up she has campbell and she is just fucking smitten over him i mean she is just oogling over him and all the girls are like where did he come from and she's like he's my boyfriend no big deal like she's she's <laughs> into it man like this girl is fawn hard already and they haven't even she hasn't even known
2: him what a couple days she doesn't know his last name. She doesn't hmm. even know his last name. As we find out. Yeah. So Lily leaves. Uh, leaves Max and is trying to find her way out of the maze. And she gets like she can't find it. She gets lost in this maze. And as she's going down like one of the the corridors, it comes to an end. And all of a sudden, a fucking arrow comes out. And I mean, this I love the setup because it just happens. There's no like. You know what I mean? There's no like indication that this is going to happen. It just happens.
1: Like the bitch is shot with an arrow. So yeah, it, it's it's amazing. There's always like shifting walls with TVs on. You're like something's going down, and then you know, she uh, she gets hit with uh, Cupid's arrow, and then we see Cupid.
2: We've we, we see the arrow hit her first, and then we cut back and see him standing there as he just shot the Cupid, and she's like gasping against the wall and he shoots her again. And I love this. The second one, she flies through the fucking wall and then he proceeds to shoot her with a third arrow, which causes her to fall over the balcony down several floors into the fucking dumpster below.
0: I think that this kill is one of the top standout moments of the film for several reasons. Before I even go into that, I do want to acknowledge one thing about this movie that I don't think it gets enough credit for is the sheer body count. Like, I don't think when people think Valentine, they think body count, but if you look at the amount of supporting, like supporting players that get killed in this movie, like a lot of people die in Valentine. It may not always be the glorious yeah. death. It may not always be like, an like, you know, just gnarly bloody gore, but it is oftentimes not a wasted kill. I mean, you get a lot of on-screen kills in this movie. And with the context, with a Cupid-based killer, it was inevitable they had to do a bow and arrow kill. I think it was just kind of mandatory. And I think that they really fucking hit it out of the park. I agree with you, Troy. The fact that she turns and just bam... She gets hit and they do a few really slick, sleek shots on the killer where you see him like extending the arrow back and it like follows his profile. And as it hits the profile of the mask, the blood drip starts to come out Mm -hmm. of the nose. It's also perfectly timed. It builds and swells. She goes through the screen. She busts through the door and like that final arrow where she goes over that railing, like it may not be crazy gory, but it is vicious and it is raw and, and it's very well executed it's very stylish like i really think this is one of the best kills of like that late 90s era i would agree with that and jamie
1: blanks you know god love him like between urban legend just between urban legend and this one he establishes himself just to your point a really stylish director who understands the genre he understands timing and rhythm and uh how to get the most effective shots at the right time he's it's just You know, it's granted they are slasher films at the end of the day, but the the amount of detail that he gives to them is really worth you know worth pointing out. So after this, the group is back at the party, and we get
2: the uh,
0: what's her name? Ruthie, and she's my favorite character. Ruthie, don't come for Ruthie. I'm
2: not. I love Ruthie. I just didn't know her name. (laughs) (laughs) Good because. She, she steals is, the yeah. show. She she's a some, force of nature. <laughs> yeah, because she oh, comes yeah. marching right in to confront Campbell about taking her damn money. <laughs> she is, yeah,
1: got to love Ruth. She's a lot. She's suppo- it's a brief she, yeah. moment. Yeah, she's painted as it's supposed to be unlikable, but she's the only one who at this point sees Campbell for who he is.
2: Yeah, she's basically, where's my money? Like, you you. Y- 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 What happened to money? I gave you money for this business, and you know where's it at? And she's like yelling at him, and everyone likes telling. They they end up kicking her out. This evening, Kate. That same evening, Kate and Adam meet up, and and she's telling him about her creepy neighbor, right, Uh, Gary, who is saying creepy shit about her. And 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 this this particular scene, like, it may seem like it has no purpose, but then when what happens? here in a few scenes later happens again, it becomes pretty obvious who the killer is, right? The detective shows up the next day at their place to show them a card that Shelly's parents were sent a sympathy card, quote unquote, that basically says too bad. So sad. And it's from Jeremy Milton. He actually signs his name to this particular card and they proceed to tell the cop or the detective about their history with Jeremy that, you know, they, what happened at the dance the same time when they're leaving the, the, the station. This is when Dorothy admits that he really never attacked her. And of course, Kate and Paige are like, what, why did you say he did? And she's like, well, you don't understand. You know, I was the fat girl and, you know, being confronted by those guys, I, I just didn't, know what else to do.
0: Yeah. And you you hear in this moment, you really start to see Dorothy's um, self-esteem issues come to the the forefront because she's like, you remember what I was like. And the girls are like, uh, you were big boned. You were plump. You know, they're using specific terminology to kind of dance around it. And she's like, I was fat. And she says it with so much hate towards herself. And I find it so like, I, I mean, I, I love it. I love the fact that they cast an actress who i mean she's curvy but she's honestly like looks very fit she's very attractive but i totally buy that she like is somebody who was maybe heavier as a child and now she's like come into her own she just doesn't see it but i mean she is just so willing to just tear herself down um and we really see that on full display here for one of the one of the first times you see dorothy kind of just destroy herself a bit you know
1: yeah, you see her vulnerability, and you see that. Even into adulthood, no one is crueler to Dorothy
0: than herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the scene before this, these little scenes, you get a lot of little moments with Kate and Adam, and it could easily feel very like, ugh. But I got to say, like if you're going to give me any exposition and build up any character relationship in this film, you might as well devote it to this duo, this couple. Because A... What they're going through, the whole, the alcohol subplot, the fact that he's struggling with that is actually, it's very human. It's very interesting and it's very well played in this. It's actually very well written. Their dialogue is actually surprisingly strong. And if anything here has depth and some nuance and some texture to it, it's these little moments that they share, I think, because they kind of just get right into it, what he's dealing with, what he's struggling with and how she's not willing to put up with it. Exactly. she actually puts up strong boundaries for us, and as charming
1: as he is, um, you know, there's a lot of darkness to his to some of his line readings. As affable as he might seem, even when she's talking about her underwear missing, she, it might might be Gary. He's kind of giving like these, uh, you know, playful kind of smirks to her, as if like, oh, you know, it's your creepy neighbor again. But um, when you, again on the second time, you really see a lot of the work that Borianos is doing. But I agree that the two of them are extremely charismatic, and what could be throwaway. You know, fluffy romantic scenes. There's a lot of truth in what they're doing, um, not just the the actors, but the, the script as well. It's it's impressive.
2: Yeah, they play off each other pretty well. They're they're pretty believable as a as a couple. We get a scene of Kate searching for Jeremy Milton on the internet, the old old internet, but nothing comes up. He, he he's not searchable. There's no results for Jeremy Milton. Adam, again, we get another scene with Adam coming in and surprising her. They were supposed to go to dinner, but she forgot. But they end up going out. You know, they they have a scene where they're at a at a bar, right? They go to a bar and he orders. And this just kind of plays into the whole, you know, his alcoholism because he, she orders a Corona and he orders a club soda. And then she does the very polite thing, I thought, and mixes the, the Corona and orders a club soda herself thought that was a nice little touch.
1: A, a very small moment, but really nicely. Placed. It goes to show that she is, you
2: know, really trying to be supportive of him. Um, on their way home, I do like this scene too, because it's, it's kind of not what you would expect that he walks her home and she's like, do you want to come up? And he's like, yeah, I do, but I'm not going to, because I don't want you to regret anything. That might happen again. I thought it was a very nice little touch because most guys would be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to come up and get some pussy. But no, he's, he's a gentleman.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I I think that they, for all of, I, I think one of the reasons that there's ever a point to not question Adam being the killer is because both the script and Boreanaz's portrayal of the dialogue, is genuinely at times so likable, so respectful. He's the only guy who does seem to actually care about one of these girls and their well-being. And there are times that I, I look at him in this film and I'm like, you know, if I was watching this and I I did not know the outcome, um I could buy him not being the killer because you really want him to not be the killer cuz there's a good period of time there that he's really trying to work on himself and make this relationship happen well the girls the next day
2: are at the police station again Uh, the detective is is revealing to them that he did find out what happened to this jeremy milton dude and we find out that after this whole ordeal at the dance he spent some time in a mental hospital his parents ended up dying in a fire that was suspicious And then he shows them some age progression photos of what Jeremy may look like now based on what he looked like as a kid, the only photo that they have of him. Because I do like that Kate's like, do you have any do you have any current photos of him? And He's like, "Uh, if we did, don't you think we'd be looking at those instead? But these uh, these age progression photos that they show look nothing like any of the guys we've we've really seen, uh, with the exception of possibly and i think this was done on purpose the jason character right there is a there is a slight similarity between the jason character and what these you know age progression photos look like
1: interestingly enough during the uh, director's commentary there is one brief second it's a transitional period between two of the renderings where it does look like adam and you're just like oh, oh really it it's it's super quick but um if you watch it again it's right in the middle of two different uh, uh
0: kind of possibilities in there I love it. I love those little details, and I love that you fucking know that. Thank, this is why we have you. Thank you, the gold nuggets. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to watch it again because I was watching it and I'm like, oh god, that doesn't. Look it's like super great.
1: <laughs> it's like a frosted, you know, blonde kind of
0: tips, but that—that's the one. And you're just like, oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, I did. I did catch that it looks a lot like Jason. Mm-hmm. This this movie desperately, desperately wants you as the viewer to start suspecting that it could be Jason, but it's so at times, like, put out there and kind of, like, I don't want to say forced on you as the viewer, but, like, they are heavily hinting, like, oh, well, uh, he's missing now. <laughs> so uh, there's that element. Like, the guy's missing. And if you find him, if you hear from him, if you find this Jeremy, this, uh, or this Jason, this JM 2.0, whatever his name <laughs> is, fucking make sure you let us know, because he's our number one suspect. Like, they really paint him to be, like, the red herring, even though your gut is going in a different direction. Um, and then I do find this whole new twist to be like one of the weaker parts of the film um, in which the cop, the detective who is who, like, and you mentioned this earlier, but the detective who is supposed to be assisting these women. Um, now he starts fucking hitting on the girls, especially, you know, specifically Paige. Um, and it's like, the, it feels like these girls are never safe. He's not hitting on them, Roger. He is sexually,
2: basically sexually assaulting this girl right in the middle of the goddamn police station. Yeah,
0: he puts his hand on Paige's thigh and she's Oh, like, he puts
2: his hand up, he puts her, yes. Well, it, it, sexual we, tension? Like, yes, what here. leads into this is he's questioning the girls about who they're seeing because they're trying to figure out who this, who, if it is Jeremy, could he already possibly be in their life? Because the detective does mention, well, maybe, you know, this is what he should look like. But that's not considering the fact that he could have altered his appearance, right? Maybe he had plastic surgery. We don't know. So he starts to question the girls about who they're seeing. And Paige is like, I'm not seeing anybody. You know, of course, Kate mentions that she's seeing Adam, but she's been seeing him for a while and she knows all about his background, his parents, all all that stuff. And then he gets to uh, Dorothy. This is where we find out that Dorothy has only known Campbell for a month and she doesn't even know his last name. And when they try to confront her about this, she gets super defensive and super bitchy, especially
1: to Paige. She storms the fuck out. She she storms she, out. She calls Paige a slut, like basically in, in retaliation. For yeah.
2: That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the girls leave, and as they're leaving, this is when the detective said, Paige, I'd like you to stay. She's like, Oh, okay. And you know, he sits down and and again, you think that... You know, you think he's going to have a, a conversation with her about, you know, maybe he knows something that, you know, she might know. Uh, who knows? But he's like, so what are we going to do about this little problem? <laughs> and she's like, what problem? He's like, the tension. And she's like, the tension. He's like, yes, the sexual tension. I'm like, okay, this dude is old enough to be her grandfather, first of all. Um, And I didn't really get, I mean... <sighs> I guess going back and watching it like the second time after this scene, I guess there is supposed to be some scenes that are supposed to be like sexual tension between the two of them. But I
1: guess I never picked up on. Just like like nothing more than just little, you know, she, she's clearly just not having it with him and he always gives her a look and she kind of stares at him. Like, I see
0: what you're doing. Yeah. He interprets that as her. coming. Well, and out and beyond all of that, I think what they're really trying to show here is the fact that, Okay. More often than not, men put women in positions where they're basically like, uh, "You, you're clearly flirting with me. You're clearly coming on to me." Like mm-hmm. this is a, this is a tale as old as time. And I think now in 2021, after 2017, 18, the Me Too movement really kicking up, um, where women basically called this shit out out loud and pointed it out as an issue. In some ways, though, I do agree, Troy, that, you know, the, the portrayal of men is exaggerated. In a lot of ways, this movie is kind of ahead of its time. Um, the, this moment where Paige does not put up with this nonsense and she's straight up says she's like, get your hand off me or I am going to have to report this. You know, Paige is not a woman looking to be pushed around. I like that about her. She's a strong character.
2: Yeah, she well, she tells him to take her hand take his hand off her thigh and, and he's like, Well, where should I put it then? And she's like, You can put it up your ass. And and she leaves. And what's the next scene is Gary, scary Gary, is in he's inside of Jesus fucking
0: Christ. Kate's apartment, like putting on her underwear. I don't know where to fucking begin with this scene, Troy. <laughs> there, I have so many questions. Yeah, I was like, I, I go for it. No, I just, year. this is like, uh, this character did not get enough screen time to merit this plot twist, this development. Uh, this came out of fucking left field. All of a sudden, A, he's got access to her apartment, which that is fucking weird. But then he's putting on her panties, which, I mean, what... What David has said earlier is actually quite foreboding because he makes a crack saying, oh, I just like to wear your panties. You know, it makes me feel sexy and feminine. I, I'm curious if he's been watching this guy do this. Like, I want to know how much does David Boreanaz know about this guy putting on his girlfriend's panties? Because when he takes this iron to this fucker's face, there is some rage behind Oh, yeah. He <laughs> bashes the fuck out of him. Just swings that iron like it's nothing. Like, oh, I'll never God. say no to an iron kill. I'll never say no to it. <laughs> Yeah,
2: so Gary is beat to death with the iron as he's trying on Kate's panties. He also gets the iron shoved against his face, Oof. and then is beat to death with the iron. And this is a scene like when Kate. Okay, so after this scene, Kate comes to is getting home. She's headed to her apartment, and who happens to come out of her building? But Adam. So again, you know, I think the clues are pretty strong, despite like you know, them trying to paint so many red herrings. It's just like, he happens to be in all the places where people are getting killed at the, at, at just the right time. You know, it's kind of a cute little scene where she asks him if he has a Valentine for him, and he gives her like this little heart sucker. And then she gives him a Valentine back, which ends up being a, she, she takes a piece of uh, a, a old receipt and writes on the back of it that, it, that she, I, she, I owe o TLC so that he can get some, Loving whenever he wants.
0: Because she owes it to him. Oh yeah. Give me one of those. Give me I'll I'll give it to David Boreanis. Absolutely. He looks good. He looks good on bones. He looks he looks good to this very day.
2: (laughs) She goes up to her apartment. Yeah. She yeah, she does she she goes up to her apartment. Paige is in there. Well, she doesn't know Paige is in there, but Paige kind of surprises her. They get a call from Dorothy who tells them that detective had stopped by her place and talked to Campbell and Campbell can't leave. And Dorothy's kind of being a bitch. She's like, did you guys tell tell him, you know, what his name was? And they're like, no, we don't even know. Like, why would we tell him? And she's like, well, he can't leave for two days. And I don't want to, I don't want to be dumped right before my party. And right after they hang up with her, Detective Vaughn calls. To say, lo and behold, they picked up Jason. Jason Marquette's been picked up. Woohoo, they think he's the killer.
0: Yeah, everything seems to be coming together for these gals, (laughs) or so they think. Um, uh, After a failed attempt at sex, and then turning Dorothy down for a second time, we're starting to get some really um, awkward energy established between Dorothy and camp who is if unless you're dense and cannot read his body language it's becoming really obvious that this guy is a not sexually attracted to this poor girl and b using her
2: yeah yeah she gives him yeah because she gives him a a, a, a nice valentines day present she gives him a watch um and they go to have sex but i'm assuming He didn't get, he couldn't get it up, right? Yeah,
1: I think. I I thought he,
2: he, that's what I thought, but I thought you could also read it that maybe he like ejaculated too fast. But I'm going to go with the fact that he couldn't get it up. Yeah, she looks extremely
1: disappointed. Yeah, because she's (laughs)
2: like, it's okay. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's like, I'm going to take a shower. So she goes in the shower. He comes in and gives her this necklace that has a, like a gold Cupid on it. And then she comes on to him again. And like you said, Roger, he is totally not interested. He's like, no, I have a meeting to go to. And he's like, I want to go to the gym before I go to this meeting. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's maybe he's a homo. I don't know. But he's definitely not interested in in Dorothy.
0: And it's not doing anything for Dorothy's self-image at all. Oh, it's it's so
1: cringy. Just like how into him she is and just how she's willing to just do everything for him.
0: And he just clearly cannot, he, he yeah. can't do that. This cuts to this moment where he goes down to the pool, this beautiful pool. He's in a robe, he's making a phone call. And from what I'm gathering from this call, it sounds like he's attempting to transfer money from, I think he says the name is like Kevin Cox. He, he gives a name for it, not his name and not his birthday. He says 19, I think like 1950. I think it's he says, Kevin or it's Evan Wheeler, or, or Wheeler. yeah. So it's it sounds like, yeah, that's what I was trying going to ask is this is he's actually trying to steal funds from her father's account based off info the, he's stolen the, the entire account. Oh yep. my god, this fucker!
2: But in the middle yeah. of it, Page or Dorothy pages them, and she's like, "Campbell, we're out of hot water. Can you go light the pilot light in the basement?" And he's like, "Oh fuck, yeah." He's like, "I guess I'm help now." But anyways, he goes down in a sensible robe. To the basement to light the pilot light. And as he lights it and is getting back up. Who's there? The cherub. The cherub.
0: Is that what he's known as? The cherub?
2: I don't. I'm calling him the cherub. I'm going
0: start calling him the cherub. I love the term cherub. The, cherub. <laughs> the Fucking cherub. The cherub
2: shows up and axes him in the back. This cherub sure gets around.
1: He
0: absolutely fucking does.
1: Yeah, and there's, some, there's some great flickering light tricks in this basement scene as well. And also, um, speaking of Dorothy paging him in the previous scene, that is also where we start to get a possible other red herring that pays off later on. Because she, she, Dorothy's the one that sends oh, him down yeah, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you start to wonder. Yeah, I don't even think about that's
0: that. valid. Yeah, definitely. Or are
1: they working in cahoots, perhaps? Perhaps. The way that she reads that line, like, oh, could you – go down to the basement and just do this for me and like it just it sounded a little bit uh pointed in a way that like, i didn't even she's think about leading right. basically it's... yeah listen to the way she reads that line again yeah because um, the ending like,
2: is i mean the ending of this we'll get there but yeah i guess you could read it a couple different ways huh now it's dorothy's party this fucking party Good Lord.
0: Oh, my God. Take me to this fucking party, but get me a good red dress but, first. And get me
2: away from Dorothy, because Dorothy, all she's doing is fucking moping the whole day. Oh, my God. Dorothy is being she's the dowdiest, mopiest bitch ever, because Campbell hasn't shown up. Oh, my God. She's so
1: huffy and puffy about everything. All of San Francisco is in her living room right now, and she just is sitting at this big table, just drinking champagne the entire night. I'm like, girl...
2: Well, Kate, this, well, this Kate awesome. even
1: goes to ask her. She's like,
2: "What's what's the matter?" And she's like, "Oh, this party blows." And Adam shows up, and you know he, he's being affectionate towards Kate, like hugging her and
0: stuff. And Dorothy is just having none of it. She's like, uh, oh. and she's also demolishing these chicken wings. In the meanwhile, you notice that, like, when she's sitting at this table and there is a, just a plate of chicken wing bones in front of her, like she just had a yeah. binge session. <laughs> girl is not happy. She
2: cannot stand seeing Adam and Kate happy. So she gets up and storms out and says that all men suck Paige is on yeah. the dance floor, dancing all sexy when fucking oh creepy. God.
0: I love this ass, moment. <laughs> goofy looking Brian shows up. She's doing this slow motion hair tossing, Like, you know, like the director was like, okay, this scene is going to be in slow motion. We need some good trailer footage. I literally just need you to move your hair as much as possible and look at the camera with doe eyes. And Denise Richards is like, I fucking got it. And like, she's just like flinging this. <laughs> she oh my gosh. Yeah, she, she's like flinging her hair around. It's all slow motion. It was like this shot was specifically filmed, I think, for the trailer.
2: But yeah, but this Brian guy shows up and he goes out there and he's like, I like the way you move slowly slowly moving (laughs) so he she's like why don't you join me so they start like dancing and right away he's like you know i just really want to take you upstairs he's like she's like oh yeah and he's like yeah i got a surprise to show you and she's like well i like surprises so like she follows him upstairs and i'm like you're in some random person's house Like, how would you know? Like, how would you be like, oh, let's just go upstairs. Like, this isn't a motel. You're in somebody's house.
0: That and also like, bitch, I'm sorry. I, Paige, I've had your back over the course of this movie. But girl, do not act fucking surprised when this dude's surprise is his penis. Like, do not be shocked when he takes... Like, what did, what you did you think, think it was? Of course be. it's his penis. Have you met the men that live in this universe that you exist in in this movie? Every guy is trying to show you his penis. You think if you go up to someone's bedroom, he's not going to take his dick out? Like, that's a common shitty dude move in general. I am i wouldn't be shocked. I'd be like, ugh, brought this on myself, <laughs> going into a bedroom with this guy. He
2: takes his dick out. He literally... And he's proud. He pulls it, drops his pants down, and she's looking, and she's like... Uh, that's my surprise. You brought me up here to show me your penis. And he's like, yeah, what do you think? And she's like staring at it. And he's like, uh, honey, don't just stare at it. Wax it. What does that mean? Is is wax, is that what straight guys say? Is that their code for blow job?
0: That means like, if, okay, if you're going to, I've never heard, think about like waxing. A, I, when well you're waxing I know a Roger,
1: but I've never heard anybody <laughs> say like wax my penis. That was That's something that I heard in middle school. Really? I've like, never really? heard it. Yeah, I heard it constantly, and I was like, what the
0: fuck is I've that even mean? i never heard
1: that. So hearing yeah. it in this context, I was like, I, I feel seen. Not that I ever used that term, but it just... You're <laughs> going to have to, Rob, up.
0: start busting that out. When you're like on a date with a guy, be like, hey, you should fucking wax it. I'm going to start, start <laughs> using that. I, 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 <laughs> I'll report back with how that turns out. I
2: wonder back. how... Yeah, I'm going to. Next time I'm at, at a bar, I'm going to be like, hey, I got something you can wax. You <laughs> Your car? Your <laughs> car? See what they say, because I've never nobody has ever told me to wax their dick. And I've never told anybody to wax my. I've never heard that. I'm like, is this some alternate like universe straight guy yes. <laughs> terminology? Yes. But, anyways, she's like, "Wow, oh, that's She gets up to leave. She's like, No, baby, stay. And she's like, Okay. So she gets him on the, she tells him to undress. I gotta say for as goofy looking as he is, this guy, this dude has a rocking body. Like,
0: Oh, oh, put a,
2: put a paper bag over his head and we'd be fine.
0: I could crack an egg on those eggs.
2: (laughs) Oh God. He has a, yeah. So she gets him on the bed, you know, ties him up again, Roger. We had this conversation with the 2001 maniacs episode last week. I am never letting anybody tie me up.
0: Nope. Period. Nope. It's not happening. No, 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 no. Don't even
2: ask people. Are you out there listening? If you ever,
0: you are not tying me up. you're, <laughs> if you're trying to woo Troy, if you're trying to seduce him to be your Valentine, <laughs> That's do not, not right. show up with scarves. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not happening.
2: Uh, but she, he lets her do it. And then he, she's like kissing him and he's like, Oh, I knew you had a kinky side. And then she's like, you still want me to wax it? He's like, hell yeah, baby. So she picks up one of the candles and
0: pours the hot wax on his penis. His using the term wax, it was the sole purpose was so she could pour wax on his penis. Let's be clear. Like, you know, it's coming from a mile away. That being said, I like this scene. I even like the, the score, the 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 very like late 90s, early 2000 Matrix Club score that they're playing. Like the whole thing works for me. The one issue I have, guys, the one problem is in a movie, Brimming. With excess body count, tell me this wasn't a fucking wasted opportunity. Because in my mind, that guy is up there, tied up there, the the, the rest of the film, <laughs> just like that. Should they never established. You no, know, did he just stay there? Like, I think what? he's still there to this day. I think he's still tied to that bed. <laughs> in twenty twenty one, is still, still there, still screaming for help. But I, but like <laughs> seriously, like get Paige to leave the room. Tell me that there's not an outtake of the killer coming in and killing this guy blindfolded, like it. That that scene is seriously like written for this movie. Why would they not take advantage of that? It's like
1: shove the whole candle in his face or something like that. Anything. Or up his butthole. <laughs> a burning candle up his
0: butthole. That's erotic.
2: Yeah,
1: so he's still up there.
0: The, uh, Ruthie shows up and makes a scene. Yeah. Ooh, did you notice really quick, guys? Very, very minor detail. Paige is descending the staircase leading up to this confrontation with Ruthie. Did you guys notice that in the background, one of the guys from the speed dating is seen like trying to approach Paige and then turning around and walking away? It's super, it's, it's, it's the guy who just sat there quietly and couldn't like actually say anything. He Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry to yeah, w- I didn't step on your, what you're saying, Troy, but this is such like a specific moment. I just no, want to I, see because... if anyone caught it. I didn't see it. No, no, no. You see him. He's like, Paige is like descending the steps and she sees uh, like the commotion starting. And so she's walking up to Kate. And in the background, you see one of the guys from the speed dating, the turbo dating scene, like Hmm. starting to walk up to Paige, trying to approach her and then like getting nervous and turning around and walking away.
2: No, no, I didn't see that. So another red
0: herring. They're all prowling on these women. Like I... (laughs) These women cannot escape these creepy men.
2: Yeah, but Ruthie is making a scene. She sees that uh, Dorothy's wearing the necklace that Campbell gave her. And she's like, that's my necklace. Uh, And Dorothy, poor Dorothy, she can't defend herself. She's just standing there. And all she can say is, he loves me. And Ruthie's like, "Uh, no, honey, he loves your trust fund. And they kind of escort Ruthie out of the house. When Dorothy just stands there, like looking embarrassed. As fuck,
0: not knowing what to do. If they would have just listened to this broad, I mean, yeah, she's a, she's aggressive, but like, if anything, she's really trying to help the situation. She's she's trying to look out for her fellow sister. Yeah, yep. And um, if they would have listened to her, things would have worked out. I think for the better for everybody involved.
1: Yeah, if not for Dorothy's self esteem, she would have been like, "Ruthie, come here. Let's let's talk about this. What what? Like, tell me everything you
0: know. Problem solved." At this point, Paige decides she's going to go chill out, in her words, as Max approaches Kate, and he calls her sweetness multiple times, and he aggressively hits on her before telling her that Lily never arrived in L.A. for her gig. Uh, And Then he continues to try to hit on her more, but Kate is distracted by the fact that Lily never arrived in L.A., so uh, she goes to seek out the girls and share this information.
2: In the meantime, Ruthie is in Campbell's room. How she knew it was what room he was in. Who knows? But she's in there going through his stuff. She finds the watch, and she takes, steals the watch that uh, that Dorothy gave him for Valentine's Day. Uh, as she's trying to sneak out of the house, she just happens upon the cherub. <laughs> I'm just gonna call him the cherub is dragging the body
0: of the poor maid. What did Millie the maid do? <laughs> I love it though. I love that we don't even get to like, it's not even like an off screen kill. It's like literally he's just like dragging this dead body across a room and Ruthie happens to walk in on it. But you know what I got to fucking say here, man, out of all the people in this movie, the last person I expected to get a fucking chase sequence was goddamn Ruthie. But you know what? I'm fucking here for it. I love this sequence. I love the fact that Ruthie like has a whole hiding in the sauna bit. Like it's very prolonged, way longer than anybody else's chase sequences, or anything else about the finale for that matter. This finale leaves a lot to be desired. I'm gonna put it out on oh, the table. It does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But this But not for Ruthie. <laughs> Ruthie gets the royal treatment here. <laughs>
1: No, it's so unexpected that, that of all the characters, it's this one girl who just comes in for two scenes, super aggressive, accusatory. She's right, yes. Uh, but you know, like you, I would expect um, Brian to get this kind
0: of treatment sooner or something. Yeah. She has this whole bit where she's hiding in the sauna. The killer comes and looks forward, apparently doesn't spot her. Uh, she's hiding under the bench, and she finds Campbell's body. So she finally, she gives it a pause. She tries to make a move for it. She sees the door open, and she goes to run for it. And right when she goes to move, the killer grabs her. And in a very dramatic fashion, throws her through a beautiful stained glass shower.
2: Yeah, slicing her face up. And he goes and grabs her. And you you see that the the glass of the shower door has shattered. And there's all these jagged edges at the bottom of it. And he just proceeds to grab her head and slam her neck down on the, the jagged edge of the, the glass
0: yeah it's quick but it's actually very effective it's quick
2: it's brutal the whole lead up to it's not quick i actually like the whole prolonged thing where she gets a yeah you're right she gets a little chase. she gets to hit him in the head with a pool cue run into the sauna high there's this we spend a lot of time with her in the sauna she's looking at the the glass through the door of the sun and we see him looking in a couple times before she finally gets out. But her death scene is pretty uh elaborate. And yeah, you're uh, I, I love the scene, but yeah, the the choice to make it her.
0: Yeah, this is the st- kind of chase I would picture for like a second tier, like secondary female lead. This is like this is like the Sarah Michelle Geller I know what you did last summer chase, like of the movie. It's the big kind of chase sequence. And it honestly lives up to expectations. It's just a strange choice to make it this random broad it is and it also has i think the
1: one time i saw some theaters and it was me and like two other people um the one scene that actually made me like i actually screamed oh my christ and I'll, ne- I'll never forget it is when cupid leaves the window of the sauna and then comes right back to kind of check and make sure that no one's moving about that part actually for whatever reason i almost threw like my popcorn in the air or something
0: very, very What he grabs her too, I'll say. Like when when she's running, when she makes the move for the door, and you know it's going to happen, but he comes off from off screen and he grabs her from behind. Like still to this day, it's it's a matter of you know it's going to happen, but it's a matter of timing because it's slow and she's waiting and she's creeping and she's trying not to make any noise. it's it, they time no, it because you know well. she's not going to get back into that carpet again. Oh no this this girl is this this broad is not coming back to save the day. <laughs> she's not going to be around more than another scene or two, you know, this girl's going to die. At at this
2: time, a detective calls Kate and tells her that they had to let Marquette go and that they need to be on alert because he could be on his way to the party or not. You know, they don't know where he's at. They don't know what he's going to do, but they didn't have enough evidence to hold him. So he is going to come himself to the party to make sure everything's okay. After this phone call, she is walking through the house and she finds Adam. Adam, getting drunk he is drinking
0: one of my favorite lines in this film and it's so subtle but it's it's the delivery of it is he turns to her and he's obviously buzzed up and he goes Kate I was looking for you and she says what I wasn't at the bottom of the bottle I'm like you bitch she is not pleased with you Oh, she is pissed off. And this is the moment that kind of launches into what is going to develop into like the grand finale. I mean, the finale takes place in this mansion. Let's just put it out there. And honestly, this location, as if it wasn't already awesome enough, now with the decor, like, bring it the fuck on. What a what a final setting. This house is massive.
2: Yeah, the whole this whole party sequence at this house gives me vibes of sorority row the remake, you know, when they had the, the, the whole party vibe of that film versus this one, it's very similar, oh, kind of yeah. the same showdown, the same kind of emptying out of the party that happens in sorority row happens here where you're just the whole party empties out and you're just left with your core characters. It just gave me that vibe.
0: Yeah, I feel that for sure. And And this is all leading into what I would say was if there's one thing I remember from like the promotional material. Um, what they really use to, I would say, draw in the fan base, especially the males. We are now leading up to the very notorious jacuzzi sequence with Denise Richards in this very simple, very elegant, and very sexy black two-piece this bikini. She's in this goddamn jacuzzi. And I have to say that I dare say this would be, in my regard, one of the single sexiest kills Of all time, because Denise Richards is just sexy. She's a sexy person. She's beautiful. They could have easily made this something smutty. They could have gotten it. They could have made it a sequence where it's a girl who removes her top. They could have made it a sex scene in the jacuzzi. They could have done a lot of things with this. But instead, it's just her in this fucking jacuzzi just being sexy, just being herself, being Denise Richards. And it's sexy because it does not go over the top. It's just her and it doesn't need anything else. And I really love the setup to the sequence. Oh, it's beautiful to behold. Like, you know, the water reflecting
1: on the ceiling. It's just, it's delicious. You want to be in there with her, Mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Us for different reasons. Just just hang out with Denise Richards. Sign me up for that. (laughs) This looks fabulous. What the hell?
2: She's in the hot tub and she hears a, the, the, the she hears a noise, which is the door closing. She turns around and she sees there's some there's a rose on the edge of the hot tub. Somebody had put the, a rose on the edge of the jacuzzi. So she's like looking around. She's like, "Oh, does somebody want to be my Valentine?" She gets up out of the jacuzzi. She's looking around. Uh, looks through some of these like trees that are surrounding the uh the jacuzzi, like these. And as she's walking, fucking. The Cupid cherub grabs her out of nowhere, throws her into the hot tub, and closes the lid
0: on it. There's this really phenomenal shot right when this happens, Troy, where the camera starts to rotate and spin over the like zooming in, pushing in on the jacuzzi as she's hitting on the lid. And I'm they could have gone in a lot of directions with this kill, and I love the fact that he bolts her in there and he like taunts her he taunts her for a pretty prolonged period of time i mean this scene's great
1: <laughs> it's great it's it's immaculate like it's pro- and i think it's the most kind of psychologically torturous of the kills it's like like you said very drawn out he's like drilling into the the um the, the top of the jacuzzi and she's screaming and she like you're just she she's gasping for air and all that she can do is breathe through one of the holes that he's drilling into it
0: and it's just you're like oh my god what would yeah, i do and then he even manages to yeah. drill through he manages to get her shoulder even like he does. He's trying to both hit her and taunt her, but also lure her to the holes because she yeah, she is. Has, she has to be able to breathe. So she has no choice. It's, it's a very, you're right. It's a very um, cruel, uh, like, uh, I don't want to say cat and mouse, but like, you know, it's a cruel taunting kill. He knows exactly what he's doing.
2: Yeah. This would be awful. This would be a horrible, horrible fate. Once he gets her in the shoulder with the drill bit, He unlatches the lid, lifts it up and throws the drill while it's plugged in into the jacuzzi, which electrocutes her and basically boils her alive, which is what she said at the beginning of the film to him when he asked her, would you like to dance? And she's like, I'd rather be boiled alive. Well, there you go, bitch. You got your wish.
0: This is the moment that uh, knocks out the power. I I love this being the setup, this big grand kill, and boom, the power goes out. Isn't this exactly what causes the power to go out in the sorority house? Yes. I'm sorry, the the sorority row. Yeah,
2: yeah, the jacuzzi. There's the the jacuzzi death there that causes the power to go out. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) when you think about how these movies take influence, this is something that we've ran into a few times with some of the recent reviews, sequences that are straight out of another film that you don't even think about it, but yeah. I mean, extremely similar build up to the finale. Um, and I don't want to say one does it better than the other. Honestly, I, I don't even want to compare the two. I really enjoy this build up. I don't necessarily enjoy how everything transpires after this point, but this movie is setting up for what could be a very great finale.
2: Sets it up. It doesn't really land, but it sets it up. We get a scene now with Dorothy and Kate bickering um, because Dorothy is basically telling Kate that Adam, you know, it, it could be Adam. You don't know much about him, and Adam and Kate's like, "What do you mean? I don't know much about him. I know way more about him than than you know about Campbell." She's like, "Well, you didn't know he was an alcoholic," and Kate retorts that, "Well, you only know you've only known this Cal, Cal, Campbell guy for a month. What do you know about him? You don't even know his last name." And, and this is when Dorothy goes off on Kate about how. She can't stand the fact that Dorothy, the fat girl, finally has somebody that can compete with her boyfriend. And, you know, Kate's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, You can't stand it. The fat girl finally has a chance. And she storms off.
0: That is irrational and it is a very unhealthy way of thinking. She is not well. Poor Dorothy is delusional at this point. One thing I want to acknowledge is, <clears throat> Power goes out, and people—I mean, people—are fucking out. Nobody wants to wait for the power to come back on. They literally clear out within seconds. You see, it's like a cut, and cars are driving away. And I mean, what about like the party down crew that she has hired, walking around with platters? Don't they have to clean shit up? People would still be there for hours in the darkness. I don't. Care. Oh no, they're, they're gone. gone. They're gone.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't buy. It. Yeah, that's that was one of my notes. Is yeah. I don't. This party sure cleared up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, be back to the people want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. That party must have sucked. It sure looked good though. Uh, so yeah, Dor- Dorothy goes full yeah. cunt. Storms <laughs> off. It is, but I gotta say, good fucking monologue. Like, I mean, when Dorothy is huffing and puffing and angry and self-destructive, I would say that's when the performance is at its finest. I really think that she gives a really great depiction of a girl who is, like you said earlier, Rob. She's her own greatest enemy she is the main cause of her own torment at this point definitely and that's this is this scene is what happens when you have
1: even though again the script is not it's not harold pinter but when you have reasonable complexity to the characters and there's just enough wrinkles in their arcs when you have two actresses like marley shelton and jessica capshaw you're going to get moments like this where it's like oh well that scene really popped with a lot of angst and a lot of emotion and layers to it and you know, it's not it's not a long or terribly involved scene, but it's it, it's a highlight of the film. There's no violence or anything in it. It's just um, a lot of truthful moments between two characters who have believably known each other for decades yeah and, and, and if if, ahead.
0: if the scene in the pool, what you mentioned earlier didn't suggest her to be a red herring, this dialogue sequence certainly does absolutely for sure
2: after the after Dorothy Storm is away, Kate tries to call the detective. And she hears his phone ringing from the yard. So she basically goes to follow the ringing and she finds the phone next to the pond. Um, And she picks it up and she sees that her IOU that she wrote to uh, Adam is floating in the water. And she reaches to get it and pops up next to it is the detective severed head. And this is the moment when she's, I think she's kind of putting two to 2 together that Adam could be involved because why else would this IOU that she specifically gave to him be out there next to this murdered victim, right? And as she runs back into the house, she is confronted by Adam, who at this point now yeah. is acting extremely ominous, keeps asking her to dance with him. Just dance with me. Just dance with me. And, and she finally hesitantly gives in and he, he's, he's holding her. She's telling him, you know, he's like, I would never hurt you. I I love you. He's like, I love you so much. I don't even care about anybody else. Everyone else here could die as far as I'm concerned.
0: It doesn't feel like Adam is in any way even trying to hide the fact he's the killer at this point, to be honest. I mean, the fact that he's asking her to dance with him is extremely reminiscent of the opening sequence of them as teens. Um, He is sloppy and he's kind of stumbling and he's lurking in the shadows and he's not doing anything to suggest otherwise. So if, I mean, it's such a, yeah, yeah, it's not like he's trying to paint an alibi or give an excuse or he, I mean, he's kind of just putting it all out there. And she catches on because she,
2: she kicks him and takes off running. Um, And he just keeps, you know, catching up to her And is saying more ominous shit to her to the point where she runs into the um, room with the jacuzzi and finds Paige's body. He's still following her. She runs into the kitchen and gets a champagne bottle and and hits him with it. Um, Tries to call the police, but the phone is dead, of course. And this is when she breaks a glass case to get a gun.
0: Smart move. I mean... Smart move. And the thing is, even up to this point, at at this point, the finale is still gaining steam. This is what is unfortunate about what it eventually culminates to, because it's got a lot of things going for it. David Boreanaz is extremely intimidating. The years of playing an angry ancient vampire are doing him well in these moments. I mean, he's just lurking in shadows and just looking hostile and being foreboding and it's just all working in the movie's favor and opposite of that marley shelton is doing everything right she's manipulating the situation she's you know she's playing him like a fiddle until she finds a chance to make a run for it and then she hits him in the balls she hits him in the face with the champagne bottle she fights back against him she finds a gun and arms herself like it's it's really setting itself up to have a really strong finale. If they would have given it five or 10 more minutes of just more of this developing and evolving, this finale would have kicked it out of the park.
1: It's so true. And that scene where uh, Kate and Adam are, he's, you know, where he's ostensibly dancing with her and she's just trying to figure out how do I, again, how do I manipulate this to my advantage? Um, And her, what she's saying is not mirroring her facial reactions in her eyes. Um, where, the, where her incredible eyes are used to great effect. Uh, but with Adam, uh, I think they're both fantastic in that scene. But him in particular, because he, Kate had mentioned earlier in the film that um, when he gets drunk, he kind of scares her a little bit. And you see that. And it could also, in hindsight, be Jeremy at his most um, kind of naked and like unfiltered. That That is Jeremy. It's not Adam. Uh, we're looking at the kid who was taunted and beaten up all those years ago. Um, and that's the way that the dexterity in that scene from him is really impressive how you, it could be just a guy who's drunk and just letting all this uh, emotion and bitterness come out of him, or it could be the guy under the mask that we've been suspecting uh, on and off this entire time. It's
0: really, really well Rob, done. Rob. Yeah. What a good point. Cause honestly, if you think about this, like, the usage of the alcohol subplot, that just gives it so many more layers that, you know, he is an alcoholic because of what he's gone through, because he has this really troubled past. He has this problem. And up until this point, he is, you know, he is venting all of this kind of past torments through this series of murders. And it's not until he gives into his vices, he starts drinking, gets drunk in front of her. Because, you know, up to this point, he's been how many weeks sober? He even says it he stops drink he starts drinking again and kind of just word vomits all of this information to her reveals himself you know without saying it outright he says a lot of things that very much hint at oh i'm the by the way i'm the fucking killer you know he makes it pretty fucking easy for her to determine this guy is the one that's doing it he gets sloppy he drops the iou you know he's cuz he's been drinking so because he taps into these vices it really i think is one of the reasons he has this downfall towards the end, you know? Definitely.
1: And to the film's advantage, it's also at the point where it's like, no, 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 this is too obvious for it to be him, which uh, going a few steps forward in the finale makes it almost believable that someone could fall for what the film is trying to do next.
2: Well, what it tries to do next is, is really rushed. There really is not. Yeah. There's really not a satisfying climax. Once she gets the gun, she is kind of creeping around the house. She goes up the staircase And as she gets to the top of the stairs, immediately the Cupid cherub comes out of a room and looks like it attacks her, right? And they both fall down the flight of stairs. They're kind of knocked out for a second. And as she's getting up, the killer sits up as well, but then it is automatically immediately shot several times in the chest by, as we see, scan up the staircase by Adam. Um, He comes down the stairs and slowly takes the cherub mask off of the killer to reveal
0: Dorothy. Dorothy. Fucking Dorothy. A few things I want to acknowledge here already. When they remove the mask, there is a distinct bruise on the side of Dorothy's face. Now, Dorothy did just fall down a flight of steps. However, bruising doesn't just happen immediate. It looks as though she was punched or hit or knocked out at some point. If you look at where the character of Adam is uh, in correlation to everything happening, he is coming from the top of the staircase. Same area in which Dorothy was revealed. The killer was revealed. All of this sets up for what is... You know, I think most viewers of this film have come to the conclusion that the killer here in this case is actually Adam. Dorothy has been subdued or captured up to this point. He put the costume on her, and right at that very moment, he kind of unleashed her. Before she had a time to even get her bearings, she runs right into Marley fucking Shelton. They go down the staircase. She sits up. Before anything can be said or done, he shoots her. Done. Um, I have heard theories that they were they are actually a duo, that they are working in cahoots, that it's thought that she actually is in to, actually in on this, that they're aware of what each other are doing and the part they play. Um, I do not I, – I think it's the, the previous, the, the fact that it is all planned on his behalf, that Dorothy didn't actually have anything to do with this. Either way, though, it does lead up to a very rushed and unexpected finale moment that uh, I think happens way too soon.
2: Yeah, he he calls the police and then he's sitting there and he's holding Kate um, and she's like, I just don't understand how it could be Dorothy. And he gives this short little sort of monologue about how when people are angry and lonely, they can hide it so well that nobody else can. Can, can see it until it consumes them so much that they have to act out. Uh, and he's, he's delivering it pretty kind of deadpan. And he's like, I love you. Gives her a hug. And the film basically ends on a shot of a droplet of blood hitting her on the cheek. Mm-hmm. And we camera scrolls up and shows that his nose is bleeding and the film ends.
1: And I have to say, you know, the finale is not quite the banger that we expected at that moment. I think the final shot in just those final moments, I think it's chef's kiss. Like it's it wraps everything up, gives you just enough of a kind of a twist at the very within seconds of the credits, and you're just like, oh, it just it's shiver-inducing. It's so good. Yeah,
0: you know, I think if they would have given me five more minutes of finale moment especially a moment with Dorothy that really seemed a bit more is she or isn't she involved uh something where give me a give me a Marley Shelton holding a gun between the two of them having to make a decision give me something more raise the stakes raise the stakes a little bit I mean yeah the stakes should I I mean it's great listen this movie like I said it it has a, a special place in my heart and even with the the somewhat flawed finale I still fucking love it. The the finale is so close to being amazing. It just falls a little bit short of it. But it's so fucking close. Even up to the part where where Kate is rushing through like the sauna area and finds Ruthie's like body and it is like a fucking pool of blood and like the body reveals. It does everything right. It shows us all the victims. She stumbles upon all the proof. She arms herself. She's ready to fight him. It just happens too quick. And I really like another thing that I think this does injustice justice to. I think Kate is overall has the potential to really be a phenomenal final girl. But then you look at this and she literally only has one moment with the masked killer. And it's the final reveal. She never has a moment aside from that final shot where they fall down the staircase and Dorothy is killed. She never has a one-on-one moment with the mass killer ever.
2: Yeah. She doesn't get a chase scene where he's chasing her or anything like that. So she doesn't even really realize that there is necessarily a masked killer until that final moment when, when they tumble down the stairs together. Yeah.
1: But in, in, in hindsight and knowing who it is and knowing that of all the characters in the film, Kate's the one that he would not harm. I also think there's a great kind of uh, ironic poetry and, uh, Jeremy setting up Dorothy to take the fall and
0: giving her just like she did, giving giving
1: her absolutely no opportunity to defend herself. I mean, that yet
0: again, Rob. I mean, you've you've had a few gold nugget points here that really I think do this movie a little bit of justice. And yeah, that fin- final moment, he does do exactly to what to Dorothy that she did to him. He sets her up and lies to make her seem as though she were the one behind everything and and it really is a full circle moment. I mean, that is a great point and and a very poetic point to, to bring up. And I also, I will also say his, his last bit of dialogue though, very obvious, very much applies to both Dorothy and himself. I mean, it is, he's saying it about Dorothy, about all the anger she holds in her, having to eventually bubble up to the surface and come out some way, shape or form. But, same exact fucking thing is sent for Jeremy Melton after everything that happened and what he went through. It was just a matter of time. Absolutely. It's a great twist on like the uh the killer
1: monologue where they're explaining their motivation. In this case, he's very much using it against her, but in hindsight it is about him completely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, him and Dorothy are more alike than they'll ever know, really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it gives you a lot to think about. It definitely does. It's a it's a very full circle ending who'd have thought that Valentine would give us a I lot know, to think but about. Like, uh, but uh, like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just going to chime in and I, I don't, I, I don't see like, I don't, I'm with you, Roger. I don't think that Dorothy was involved at all. I don't know how that could be.
1: I don't think how, Likewise, how that yeah. could be a,
2: a theory because it's doesn't make much sense why she would do this.
1: Kill her boyfriend. And then, well, and then just, why
2: her. would she, why would she team up with Jeremy Milton to begin with?
1: You know, um,
2: but no, I mean, I I think it's very obvious. Like you said, Roger, you pointed out, you, you can clearly see the bruise on her face. Um, she was definitely set up by him. Um,
0: but yeah, that's that is Valentine. Yeah, man. You know, I uh, I'm shocked. I knew we were going to have a lot to talk about, but I'm actually shocked that some of these aspects, some of these points over the course of the film that we brought up or mentioned were as deep as they were. I wouldn't think of Valentine as a movie with a lot of depth or nuance to it, but there are a few aspects of, of this film, specific character plot details or you know things certain characters are going through or dealing with that actually like are rather human or pretty well handled in this movie, better than I remember. Yeah, I... I... I think the movie holds up.
2: It's slick, stylish, you know, great cast. Again, uh, I think the, the men portrayed are, it, it gets a little nauseating. And I don't mean that like from the perspective of, oh, you shouldn't, you know, men shouldn't be portrayed in a negative light. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like, they all kind of just mesh together. There's no person there's no distinct personalities that these male characters have except they gross sexual predators right um, but yeah, even that can yeah. be forgiven because the movie you know has it's 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 just fun it's a fun watch um
1: yeah i I, I enjoy it I enjoy it yeah I feel the same way like you know I, again the script it's hard to defend some of the paint by numbers aspects that is a slasher after all and like you know there's always so much you can do with the formula. Um, but as far as the casting, the production design, the direction, the the uh, the taste that Jamie Blank, Jamie Blanks brings to it, and yeah, the, a lot of subtextual elements that I didn't even pick up on. And as we're speaking about it, uh, it just continues to evolve from there. Um, there's a lot more going on under the surface with this one. And uh, if you, guys, if, whoever's listening, if you haven't watched Valentine in a while, you know I, I first saw it in high school, and watching it now as an adult. Closer in age to the women in the film, it resonates a lot more in some ways.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I hadn't watched it for a long time either. And, and revisiting it now, I think it's a much more mature slasher film than what was being churned out at the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised to say that I actually come away from misviewing A Valentine thinking that this is a film that has aged well over the course of the last 20 years, all things considered. The way it, ap- it approaches the females. I mean, sure, it might be treat the men like shit. Yes, I agree. But these are strong women. They're likable women. They have personalities. They are not going to deal with men groping them and treating them poorly. And and I think it just has, a yeah, like you said, a mature approach to the slasher formula that was maybe starting to feel a little tired or like they were treading on the same territory too much i think this was a really unique way of approaching that formula um with a bit of a mature eye and like i said at the beginning of the film almost a feminine eye it does the females in this movie favors uh which i appreciate and i think i come away from it with even more appreciation than i had going in absolutely that is something that the
1: film certainly didn't get any credit for back in the day um and i think that's You know, revisiting, and that's why I love these kind of retrospectives. You get to see in what ways were these slashers that no one took seriously at the time, except for us. Like we always love those things, but um, looking back at it now, what were they doing in that time? That twenty years later, thirty years later, it's it makes even more sense now, and it's really impressive in that in that regard. And even the men characters, yeah, like ninety nine point nine percent of them are just nauseating. Even that is a, I believe, a deliberate choice. so it's it's a very it's a much more purposeful film than I think even I thought of until watching it this past week.
0: Hell yeah, that's what I like to hear.
1: Yeah, I get it. I get it.
2: I get why the men are portrayed as the way they are in the film. Uh, a little ahead of its time, like because as you mentioned, Roger, you know, we we went through you know the mo- the Me Too movement. This film came out you know years before that happened, and now looking at this film, you know, it could almost serve as sort of a you know, blueprint for why that whole Me Too movement was necessary in the first place. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right? yeah. This is definitely a film that I would say if you're if you're a female listener of ours and you have not seen this movie, I'd like to hear the feedback from the women who who haven't who have maybe haven't visited this movie in a while, or even if you're a fan of this film, if you're a female listener and you like this movie, like tell us why. I, I'd like to hear that conversation because we're a group of three gay men, and of course we. We fawn over our final girls and our strong women. But for a woman who is a fan of the genre, how often do you get a film that pretty respectfully portrays the female leads, uh, chooses to go without nudity, chooses to put them in the position of more control? I think that's one thing this movie does is the women seem to have a, a better grasp on their lives and on their shit, most of the women than the men do. Uh, that's rare, I think, within this genre. So, I mean, yeah, I would love to hear some feedback from a female. Uh, if you got an opinion on it, let us know.
2: Absolutely. We would love to hear it. You know, if, if there's something we said that struck a nerve with you, you disagree, agree, let us know that as well. But that is Valentine. Two hours, two and a half hours of Valentine. Yes. Our longest review yet, Yes. <laughs> So we have, yeah. So we definitely have to thank Rob Rosado for for sticking with us, taking two and a half hours out of his busy schedule. We know you're super busy with, well, your, with your show and everything going on. So we have to. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank man. you thank so you, thank so, you so much for, for joining us.
0: Yeah, and Rob, please one more time. Just I know you mentioned at the beginning, but that was two and a half hours ago. Let <laughs> our listeners know uh, social media platforms. What's the best platforms for them to go to? What is your usernames? What are the sites they should be looking at? Let's refresh their memory one more time before we let you go.
1: Oh, goodness. All right. So let's, right, let's see. Uh, and Instagram at Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y underscore horror. My professional website is RobbieHorror, all one word, dot com, and morbidlybeautiful.com where I occasionally write retrospectives, reviews, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, send me a DM. Or, you know, I'm always down to talk horror in any regard.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: That's what we love to
2: hear amazing amazing thank you so much and guys remember you know give us that love on apple podcasts five star rating review
0: check out our patreon patreon.com the perfect valentines gift don't send us chocolates just give us stars give us the patreon treatment
1: <laughs> yes
0: yes please cuz
2: we will have more episodes on the patreon this month but that that wraps it up so guys next week we are Real quick, because we don't we don't want to keep you any longer. Next week, we have a real treat for you. A real treat. Our next episode, you thought this one was giving you all the Valentine Day goodness? Oh, God, no. We are just getting started because our next review is going to be none other than the 1981 classic, classic, My Bloody Valentine.
0: We can't emphasize classic enough. Yes, but we, but we're no. not stopping there, are we, Roger? No, Rob, calm down, Rob. There's more coming. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. We're not
2: stopping. There. Buckle up. We are being joined <laughs> by a special guest for this episode of My Bloody Valentine. Yes, and our special guest is the one and only Ellen Udi from My Bloody Valentine. She played. She played Sylvia. The iconic death scene of being the, where she gets impaled on the shower head. She will be joining us to discuss this film and discuss her experiences filming the film and what she thinks about it all of these years later. She's a fabulous, fabulous woman. I, I worked with her on my film, Mrs. Claus. So I am excited to have her back and excited to have her discuss her experience of making My Bloody Valentine. So that is our
0: Valentine gift to you. Yes, yes. And just to clarify, we will be discussing the unrated cut of the film. We are not going to be giving you the skimmed down theatrical release. We are going to be giving you the full cut, talking about the whole shebang, because I really want I honestly want to hear how she felt when that was re- re-released to the public after all that time that really generated a whole lot of new interest in this movie and that that unlimited cut really delivers i feel like it delivers the goods so i can't wait to discuss this with her it's one of my favorites i know you too troy i know i I know for a lot of a lot of slasher fans my bloody valentine is up there with the top so uh this is going to be a really good episode so yeah so
2: join us join me roger and aline next week for
1: my bloody valentine
0: yes again rob thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you guys so much and to all you listeners happy valentine's day happy
2: valentine's day good night
0: bye